Hey everyone, welcome back to Policy Punchline. Here at the show, we interview scholars, policymakers, and business executives about some of the most urgent issues and frontier ideas in our world today. I'm Tiger Gao. This interview marks my last interview as the host of Policy Punchline. I will soon release another recording giving you an update about Policy Punchline's future, but for now, I just want to present you the following final conversation with Prema Goranga Das. Over the last three years with Policy Punchline, I've interviewed more than 150 guests, mostly public intellectuals, policymakers, journalists, investors. But this is my only interview with a monk, a Hindu monk. Premji has been a resident monk in Mumbai with the International Society for Krishna Consciousness, also known as ISKCON, for the last 20 years. Like many of his peers, Premji completed his bachelor's degree in engineering from the University of Pune, a top university in India, and subsequently had a four-year stint at India's largest auto manufacturing company. But he then quit his job to become a monk and to explore a more fulfilling and purposeful lifestyle. Currently, he is one of the research and implementation leads for ISKCON's flagship project, the Temple of Vedic Planetarium, and is compiling his research on the Bhagavata cosmology. His interest in India's ancient tradition has also led him to curate tours for the contemporary Western and worldwide audiences to authentically represent the larger Indian and Vedic culture, and that is actually how I met Premji. I conducted the interview in the winter of 2019, right before COVID hit the world. I went on a yoga and meditation trip to India with Princeton University's Office of Religious Life, led by two fantastic mentors, Vineet and Angela, with a group of 15 students. We traveled for a month in India during Christmas vacation, visiting yoga institutes, temples, ashrams, and cultural sites. We were accompanied by Primji, who helped plan our trip and guide us through the country, and through many conversations, he gradually became an important mentor. I went on that trip because I was at a confused moment in life. I had just started my junior year in college. By then, I had also just finished a summer internship in private equity, and I wasn't sure whether I was making the right impacts, whether I was happy, and which path I should pursue in the later years of my Princeton career. I wanted to pursue an economics PhD, so I also began to start take some very difficult math and statistics courses that were really pushing the boundary of my academic comfort zone at Princeton. And this podcast, Policy Punchline, was also in its fledgling stage that I didn't quite know how to grow it to the next level. So there were just so many uncertainties in my life. I was constantly anxious, and I wanted to go on this yoga and meditation trip to take a break. I was truly fortunate to have met Premji. He answered my questions on the Hindu faith, life, and my confusion about my own path forward. He was almost like a beacon of light, using simple principles to help me reason through some of the most difficult philosophical and religious questions that had puzzled me over the years. For example, should we be pessimistic in light of the world's unending sufferings? Have we made progress as a humanity? How flexible can one be with their spiritual and religious faith? What does it mean to be guided by the God? Does one have to be guided by one God or many gods or some form of greater power? Do we have control over our destinies? 
how do we control our desires? What does it mean to be happy? And how do we discover our true callings? You'll hear us discussing many of these questions in the following conversation. And one of the most important ideas that changed me is the concept of Dharma, which can be loosely translated to religion or your destiny. It's this idea that the true sense means the constitutional position of an object. So for example, the constitutional position of sugar is to be sweet, and you cannot separate that attribute from it. And likewise, each of us human beings have our own dharma, our own duty and journey that we will have to perform to go through. Once dharma is not determined purely by one's wealth or materialistic or physical state, it's ultimately about your spiritual fulfillment. Uh, whether you are rich or poor, healthy or sick, should not impact whether you can continue to pursue the absolute truth. Maybe you are meant to be a billionaire, maybe you are never meant to, be, to succeed, but, but either way, whatever physical journey you have should not hinder you from achieving greater enlightenment and fulfillment for yourself. It was a very powerful idea because it allowed me to separate what is happening in my day-to-day -day physical world apart from what is going on in my mind. I became more freed from the mental burden of forcing myself to achieve certain worldly goals, like I have to get this job or get this grade. Uh, it's not a pessimistic attitude of just giving up on not having any goals. I still devote 120% of my passion into everything that I hope to achieve. I still have goals, but there is a very subtle mindset shift. I began to realize that a lot of outcomes in this world are beyond my control and the outcomes no matter good or bad, will all eventually contribute to my greater journey and my dharma. So if anything, I actually became more passionate about life, uh, but I become more open-minded, more calm and more fulfilled and less concerned with the outcome. I know we often say these things like everything is just part of the journey, but it's very hard to truly internalize these ideas and make them a part of our day-to-day -day mindset without having some greater intellectual realization or spiritual systems to really back it up. For example, you can't just tell people to be tough. They have to go through hardship to become tougher. You can't just tell people to be fit. They have to go on runs or go lift and go on diets. And it's the same thing with this idea of fulfillment or realizing that every outcome is just part of the journey. You have to engage with these ideas on a much deeper level and my conversations with Premji and my trip to India really allowed me to engage these ideas that ultimately changed my life for the better. It was never my goal to try to change people's lives via this podcast, via Policy Punchline. That would be too condescending of a goal to have. Uh, but I would be very honored if the following interview could even open a small window for you to explore some of those ideas, uh, which I truly considered to be some of the most significant ideas that have shaped me in the past few years. Uh, we have attached Premji's contact info and ways to get involved with his organization in our episode description. And we certainly encourage anyone to reach out to him, to me, to anyone on our podcast team. This is a very meaningful last episode for me. Thank you again for all your support. And here is my conversation with Premji. I think we can do something, just a very casual chat. I wanted to ask you about your personal journey. 
how you got to where you are, and also uh, some some more detailed questions about the Vedic religion and traditions. So where do you want me to begin? Um, how 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 did you decide to become a monk? Or we can go all the way back to the young Premji. Where were you from? What did you grow up s studying, believing in? And then what took you to where you are today? It's not that uh, being a monk is what I really decided right from my childhood. I think it is more like something just which happened to be. Uh, probably when I was like 17, 18 years old, I was looking for a Bhagavad Gita with an English translation. In India, to find Bhagavad Gita in different vernacular languages is quite uh, easy. But at that time, I was really had to you know, like look into where I get an English translation. And it just so happened that uh, once when I was in the college campus, one of my friends just walked to me, looked at me and said, Do you want an English Bhagavad Gita? I was like, this is what I've been looking for. It was just like maybe 10-15 days that I was really like, you know, looking for the Bhagavad Gita. And this person just comes, walks to me and says, do you want an English Bhagavad Gita? I said, yeah, I'm looking one for nearly last 10 days. So next day he got me a Bhagavad Gita. And uh, we became good friends. Uh, discussed quite a lot of philosophy with him. And uh, he was my first true association in terms of spiritual uh, satsang. Meaning lecture or no, guidance? satsang is merely like an association. Association, association of uh, people who are looking, seeking the uh, absolute truth. And uh, well, uh, the journey just began, began that time. And it was, but I was studying, I was doing my engineering graduation. So, I knew that I had to complete that first. So I, I was in touch with him, I was then I got in touch with many more friends like that. Read the, I was reading the books continuously. But I not take to the practice in a more uh, dedicated way. Because my first focus was to complete my studies. And you were studying engineering? engineering yeah, I was doing my bachelor's in engineering, mechanical engineering. <laughs> so this was the first year itself of the engineering. And I knew anything I, you know, like deviate now, my parents won't be happy with. So I just continued uh, with my studies, finished my bachelor's with first class, went to uh, work for about four or five years in a, in India's, uh, one of the India's biggest companies in automobile, Tata Motors. Ah, uh, Tata. Uh. Yeah. I worked there for about four or five years. But that was primarily because my parents were not ready that I should, uh, you know, like join the monastery. Otherwise, by the end of uh, my engineering, I was very sure this is what I'm supposed to do in life. But uh, they wanted that uh, I take a more mature decision. So then I worked for about four years and then I finally said, I think I'm done. I have decided what I want to do. I just need your blessings. Because in India, it's not... Uh, it's traditional that any anything you are you know like venturing to do in life first you seek your parents' blessings. That's auspicious, and that gives you the strength also to continue with your goal. Mm -hmm. 
so i didn't want to disappoint them in any way it was not that they were very happy but reluctantly they did uh, definitely give their blessings said okay this is what makes you happy please go ahead and any time you feel that uh, it's not working out for you our doors are always open please come back i said no 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 i'm very sure what i'm doing <laughs> so this is how it began and so i think 2002 i had uh, joined the monastery in mumbai oh ah, yeah so uh, radha gopinath that yeah. that was just the temple and yes, yes. but i had not immediately done the temple there i joined one of their satellite centers one of their extension centers which was more closer to my house so my parents would like come and visit me in four five months just once and see what how i'm doing what i'm doing i'm i'm very curious to about that transitioning because i think in the US and even in China today there's a tradition of you do like an internship you try something out for a couple of years and then you decide but it seems that you decided that you want to join the monastery even before you even formally tried it out so how did you know yeah actually the monastery does have a option of trying out and uh, in a way it's not even an option it's more like a compulsion it is mandatory that anyone who wants to join the ashram should go through like a two or three year period where he can see how the ashram life is and where the ashram residents can see whether he suited for such life or not and ashram would be the congregation yes. of community uh, not the community it's the the monk community specifically not the larger community so yes that's actually that's mandatory but uh, fortunately for me i would say fortunately because i was really decided about it <laughs> uh at that time uh, the situation was such that i was allowed to directly join directly join yeah so the circumstances were such that it it just happened yeah but otherwise uh, as a way of uh, protocol or tradition usually it's you know you have a period where both of them observe each other uh do you think it's common that a lot of people immediately sort of feel inspired to join monasteries and then their no, parents not immediate at least in my case it was over a long duration of time maybe like 6 to 7 years uh that you realized the that this is what i'm supposed to do but i didn't take an immediate jump because i said you know like my parents wanted to be really sure about it uh but otherwise i was quite pretty decided it was not really immediate because i came first in touch with uh and the devotees maybe like in 93 and i joined in 2002 so that was like 9 years. years but i by 96 97 i was quite sure that this is what i want to do in life and you never felt there was an opportunity cost for other things that you could have tried out what opportunity cost and what other things <laughs> Cuz uh so so what was it more like you felt like this is what you want to do or was it more like other things were not something I want to do Cuz I feel like sometimes I know what I don't like but I don't know absolutely sure what I like Okay so to put it more succinctly it is uh something that I thought had an appealing purpose Uh this is what I thought will make life more meaningful more purposeful This is what I thought where I can give my heart Uh, my intellect, my mind, without any reservation, you know. So I could really identify with such kind of uh, life. Philosophy. Yeah. 
So what was it like at the monastery when you first joined? It was fun. It is still fun. <laughs> Study every day. I heard you, you told me you, you wake up every morning at 3.30. Usually, yes. Uh, if I'm not really traveling like crazy, then the general thing is uh, usually I get up between 3.30 to 4 uh, and wind up the day by about 10, 10.30. 3.30 to 4 and then you start doing yoga in the morning? Yes, uh, we follow what is called as Bhakti Yoga. So it starts at about 4.30 or 5 depending where I'm situated. And it's more like a 4 hour uh, schedule in the morning. So 4 hours is just one yoga after another yoga like that. For 4 hours. And then you have the whole day to do many other activities. Uh, which is like a pre-thought thing where the institution wants something and uh, you want something and then you just strike a balance of how both needs can be fulfilled. And that is how you came to help with our trip. Uh, you told me that this is how and you... This is what I've been doing for, yeah, this is what I've been doing for the last 10 years actually. So you help take tourists that come to India? You no, not tourists. Our specific uh, goal is to cater to yoga students and spiritual seekers. So we are more like there to uh, give them inputs in terms of culture, philosophy, history, and their spiritual seeking. The logistics is second, but it, it, it is there in the package itself. So. Well, that, that, that's how we met on this trip and exactly. I'm very grateful that we're talking right now. You taught me so much about it. So, I uh, hope so. <laughs> <laughs> so we talked about yoga. I guess maybe some of our listeners might not be familiar with this, uh, the different terms of different styles of yoga, uh, as well as the process of meditation, why it's important to do yoga meditation and what's the purpose of it to achieve the absolute truth to um, get to know more about yourself and, and things like that. So would you mind maybe telling us a little bit how, how, how you define the term yoga, how you define meditation, what do you think their purpose are? This, this, is a, this is a complicated topic and it may also be controversial in the sense because even in the uh, Vedic tradition there are six philosophies that are uh, accepted as Astika. Astika means usually uh, in the western uh, philosophical lingo you would define an uh, theistic person as one who believes in God and an atheistic person, one who doesn't believe in God, right? And the Vedic lifestyle, you have similar words in Astik and Nastik. But primarily here, believing means to accept the Vedas. So that is one line, one school. And the other school is which does not accept the Vedas. So the Vedas means? And the Vedas are the... Uh, they are called Apurisha in the sense they are the words emanating from the Absolute Truth. Okay. So can we kind of think of it as, a, as an alternative version of like Bible or exactly. things like yeah, that? Yeah, like the alternative scriptures for the Vedic lifestyle, Vedic tradition. Yes. And, and Vedic Just like what Bible is for the Christian life. Similar, similar, not exact, but similar like what it is for the Christians. And, and, and the word Vedic is not the same thing as Hindu, Hindi. No, Veda technically translated means uh, knowledge. Hindu is a... Uh, more like a colloquial term that has been used uh, since the Mughals invaded the uh, the Indian subcontinent 
and since they were and they call the people residing on the other side of the indus rivers as hindus so it it is derived from the uh, word indus that is the indus river that borders the northwest frontier of the indian subcontinent because the word hindu was actually not part of the this sort of this people's yeah language. they were not used to pronounce it you know like indus was not very com- you know comfortable so it just got uh transformed in one sense to hindus so the vedic is kind of something related to the absolute truth to yes. greater knowledge yes. uh and the vedas is the kind of the text that help us understand some of these yes. things yes. got you and and you mentioned that there's the a group of people that accept the vedas and the group of people that don't yes so uh the group of people that accept the vedas there there are three philosophies they are called uh, six philosophies they are called shad darshan so one is like the philosophy of kannad sankhya yeah patanjali's yoga sutras uh, that formed it's the yoga philosophy anyaya uh, mimamsa uh, and uh, vedanta so these six philosophies are actually accepted as uh, i mean they accept the vedas but they have different uh, view point of what the purpose is but technically yes they accept what the vedas say but the interpretation is different now yoga in that sense that was the first question what it means for different schools will be different but technically it means unison to unite just you know like you have this yoke in english so it's quite similar so yoga means to unite in one sense yeah so, so in the vedanta school from which i belong uh it means the unison of the absolute uh, the, the living entity that is the individual soul with the absolute truth so we could say that there are six philosophies each of them focus on kind of different aspects of the of the absolute truth have different interpretations yes, or yes different interpretations of the vedas and they understand or appreciate the absolute truth in, in that context in different ways yes and then one of them is the is the yoga the patanjali's yoga that that you all are like you know following the patanjali's yoga sutra got you and then we practice yoga in 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 the patanjali's yoga sense we are sort of doing this to connect with the absolute truth to unite with that yes so now in patanjali's yoga sutra the absolute truth is more focused on the parmatma feature uh, while in the vedanta sutras uh, it is more focused on the bhagwan aspect uh it is just like you know if you if you see an object now different people can see the same object and describe it differently because uh just like if you are seeing a train coming from far right and uh, first you know if, if it's dark you'll just see the light of the engine so the first the person may see oh train means light moving light so when it comes closer then you can see it has engine it has compartments then you say oh train means yeah the moving light is just part of the engine it has engine it has compartments it has moving wheels and all that and when it comes on the platform where you are so oh, it has people also inside there's a driver so your knowledge of it evolves as you learn exactly. about those different philosophies exactly. and and brahmeti parmatmeti bhagwanati shabdate so all these different seekers have different vision of the same absolute truth so the brahman aspect is the first understanding then we have the parmatma feature that is what the patanjali yoga sutras aim for and then we have the bhagwan feature that is what the vedant sutras or the uh, 
Vedanta the philosophy focuses on. So I think you gave me this analogy that the six philosophies uh, are not like, I guess, six competing philosophies to interpret the truth, but rather that it's like first evolving, grade to six. Yeah, it's evolving. In one sense, just like a first grader, second grader, third grader. You cannot say one is right than the other. No, there is no question of wrong. It's only a question of completeness. How complete they are. So, so some is partially complete and some is more complete, some is most complete, like that. It's like this good, better, best. And you study all of them and to, uh, to, yes. to, to complete your understanding yes, of the yes. absolute. We, we study all of them in the sense it's mandatory and also to appreciate the other points of view and how there's what, uh, you know, where they have got stuck exactly. So, so what do you mean by connecting with the absolute truth? Why is it so important to connect with the, the absolute truth? Just like, you know, if... Uh, what is the absolute truth? Yeah. So just like if, uh, if you want to nourish your body, what do you do? I eat, I go for a run, I try not to... So you eat, right? Yes. So that means that by eating, your body gains strength. Like your hands, your fingers, your legs. So you don't feed them individually, do you? No. No. What do you do? You put it in the stomach. I mean, it nourishes the entire body. Exactly. Similarly, if you, if you see this plant, right, this tree out there, it has twigs, it has uh, leaves, it has flowers. You don't water them individually. What do you do? You water the, the roots. The roots, right? Similarly, if you want to be satisfied, right, you just. Uh, Perform your activities to please the absolute truth. Just by pleasing the absolute truth, you are satisfied and everybody else is satisfied. You don't try to individually satisfy each one. So usually the, the activity you would do is, is by learning more about the scripture or is it... It's not only a question of learning, it's a question of applying. Just by learning is fine. It's just like saying that uh, I know well, this is the prescription that the doctor has given me. That's fine, but are you taking the medicines? So, so what is it like to apply them? I think in the Christian context, you you got, uh, you know, the Bible telling you what to do and what not to do. Uh, there's some commitments and, and things like that. What about in the absolute truth sense? Is it also a list of items that you need to fulfill? Well, this is where uh, I would say the Vedic lifestyle is quite different than the uh, Abrahamic religions. In the sense, it's more uh, customized. It's more dynamic, it's more fluid, and it really depends upon time, pace, and circumstance. This is where the input of each individual person comes into picture, and it makes it such more adventurous and dynamic for each person. So you, so it's this concept, time, place, circumstance, uh, is very, very important. Dishkalpatra. Yes, Dishkalpatra. Uh, and you said that everyone should live their life as this kind of interaction with the absolute truth, as you constantly um, know what you to what to do, based on your relationship with the absolute truth, right? Uh, and you constantly update right. that kind of vision and update your actions. Right. Uh, so you said the Vedic religion, in that sense, is a very top-down religion. Uh, top-down in the sense. Top-down in the sense that you know the absolute truth first, and then you determine your action. No, that. that would be very arrogant to say that you know the absolute truth. But uh, yes, uh, the endeavor is to know the absolute truth, and and it's 
the absolute truth in one sense is infinite so you can't know him completely for sure but the endeavor is that you try to know him and try to please him in whatever you do uh the beauty is even you don't reach the final destination in some way but the process itself is uh so nourishing uh that it's really in one sense incomparable with any other type of lifestyle uh, so i i guess when we think about india when we think about uh the hindu religion or the hinduism or the vedic religion we often think about there are so many gods and deities out there so it seems that people would still worship deities and gods so it's not like they go to a temple and they worship the absolute truth right or is that yes uh, so uh, as as we were discussing before uh, vedic lifestyle is really customized in one sense according to a person's psychophysical nature or conditioning is the right word that we can use uh they recognize the fact that every person comes with his capacities and competencies with his own conditionings his own psychophysical nature appreciating that aspect uh everybody is like given uh a choice of how he would like to meet or reach the final destination is just like you know uh practicing in a gymnasium so like a 50 kilo person goes in there and you just can't lift a 100 kilo weight right at the beginning right you have to build your muscles for that you do that gradually right you can't have an olympic champion from day one itself but you do that gradually so the vedic lifestyle actually gives you the facility for each individual wherever he is in his life now he can begin from there and therefore we have so many deities and so many uh, demigods not exactly gods uh, god you know with uh, in that sense even the vedanta describes the supreme as an absolute truth god is again very limited in one sense you, usually you know god like you know as the all powerful yeah, like, like the creator the maintainer and the destroyer but the absolute truth is much more than that <laughs> so that is just one function of the absolute truth uh so we have it's just like you know you have in a company uh, the owner of the company and the owner of the company is not the person who actually does everything in the company he delegates it so he has a, a like a managing body then he, the managing body like uh, you know issues instructions to the managers the managers will you know like delegate it down to the supervisors the supervisors to the workers to the operators like that similarly the absolute truth in the sense is the energetic personality is the complete energetic personality and he has these different energies he has this energies vested in different personalities who are subordinate to him and they are known as demigods or ishwaras and certainly they derive their power from the absolute truth but they are not as powerful as him but they help him in the functioning of this uh, created universe so they also are bestowed with some powers but not complete powers just like in a state you you have the president you have the prime minister you have the ministers then you have the state ministers you know they have delegated powers not everybody is equally powerful but they derive their power from the state similarly these different deities derive their power from the absolute truth but they are not all powerful themselves so the process of you getting to the absolute truth 
uh, as you said, you need to apply it, you need to learn it. Uh, and it, you also mentioned to me that you cannot do it alone. You, you need a mentor, a teacher to yeah, guide it's just, you. It's just like uh, any education system. Just like if you want, if you want to be a physicist or you want to be a biologist, you just don't become by reading books, not not by your own. What you really do is you apply to an uh, accredited university, you learn under a teacher, you have an internship under under the teacher, and even then, you're always updating yourself, right, with new knowledge with our different teachers, interacting with them. Similarly in spiritual life, uh, with different schools of uh, philosophies available, you see which is the accredited university that you are comfortable going, uh, you seek a teacher there which, which you can strike a chord with, which you are comfortable learning with, whom you, you, you have trust in, whom you know will guide you throughout. So you, you uh, put yourself under his care and that is how you move forward. Uh, it, it, it sounds like to me that it's a very progressive relationship, that it's very dynamic, as you said. Yes, it's it's yes. fluid. You, you yes. figure out your own sort of conditions and, and what you need to work on. Definitely. Um, but then the issue is, uh, you also mentioned to me that there are certain things that you have to buy into. There are certain core curriculums that you need to complete in order to get the degree, using that analogy, is that you cannot go into a university and take any set of classes you want and then get the degree. Yeah, that's what I said. It's just like uh, you, uh, you have to appreciate your psychophysical nature, your limitations, your strengths, your weakness. Just like it's like an aptitude test, right? When, when you're like in, in your career, you want to, uh, you're choosing, you're like confused. Would you like to be a doctor or an engineer or a lawyer or an economist? So what do you do? You see what your disposition is. and it, So you may have a liking for something, but do you have the competence? Both have to go hand in hand, right? So sometimes you may have the liking, but not the competence. Sometimes you may have the competence, but not the inspiration. So it has to strike, it has to strike harmony somewhere to make it successful, right? So this is what you try to figure out with the help of spiritual guidance that what is what are, what are your limitations what are your weakness what are your strengths and how you can achieve this absolute truth that is the beauty of uh, Vedic religion it does not uh, discourage anyone from achieving the final goal of life the final purpose of life rather it encourages each personality uh, like a father would encourage his child to move forward in life but the difference between you and me, uh, maybe I, I guess you would call me a spiritual wanderer in the sense that I'm trying to figure it out, but I'm, you wouldn't call me someone that, that is in the Vedic sort of community. Right. So what is the difference? Is, do, do I have to believe in something? I mean, I still, I think I'm getting there in some way. I think I'm learning, I'm reading, but it, but it seems that there's something I, I don't have. You know, I don't know if it's common in China or US, but in India, they have what is called as play groups. Before the child joins the nursery in school, they have some play groups where he's, you know, before the age of three, they teach him by different plays and different things and so that he's ready to join the nursery section. But actually he's not joined the school. He formally joins the school when he attends the nursery, the kindergarten. Right? So these pre-kindergarten things are something like out of the school thing. Right? So I would define a spiritual wonder something of that sort. So he not formally become part of the university of Vedic uh, philosophy, 
but he's trying to appreciate what it means to be there so i'm trying to appreciate yeah. uh, so that's good that's that's still part of the path that's yeah that's good definitely why not but do you look at me and and, and you think well i feel bad for tiger because he will never get to the absolute truth he will never get to the destination the destination because i will somehow remain a spiritual wonder if i don't you know formally enter the vedic school that's up to tiger to decide <laughs> so is it is is one better or worse than the other the fact that someone cannot uh, uh so, you, so, you, so you uh, so you are asking me a question like that that uh, we have a person who wants to do engineering and he's exploring different universities so is princeton good is harvard good is stanford good uh, or is mit good and he's just keep on exploring but he does not take an admission anywhere so what do you think he's going to be an engineer but but but, but i would say that's like most of the people in this world right very few people actually be- formally become a monk uh, that is no, no, no it's not a question of becoming a monk it is a question of uh, accepting a, one of the authorized vedic school of thoughts okay, so they are like different universities the point is to accept a university so if you want a degree in your educational field you have to accept right and university in the sense you have to accept the teachings on uh, the syllabus the teacher the examinations and i can accept that without becoming a monk of course you know, i mean very few of them really become monks in the true sense most 99.9% are uh, family people who have a family who live live at home they do their job and at the same time practice vedic lifestyle does it mean that they would have to devote a significant uh, time significant energy of it does the- take definitely that's the whole purpose the whole point is to dedicate most of your energy most of your wealth most of your uh, activities whatever you are doing in life uh, for this uh, satisfaction of the absolute truth definitely that's the objective so uh, when you are accepting this type of lifestyle uh, it is very clear that the priority is to develop a relationship a personal relationship with the uh, absolute person okay okay that 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 that, that makes sense um so But everybody is given a choice. How would you would like to? It's just like climbing a mountain. You can right? choose to climb it. You can climb it. You can. You can. You can choose the uh, climbing the mountain by taking a baggage on your back, or just like throw away the baggage. <laughs> It's up to you. Okay, that that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, is there anybody who could possibly get the absolute truth? You said nobody. Nobody could get the absolute truth. A get in the sense achieve. Uh, yeah, completely understand all uh, of it. achieve that so oh well the beauty of this whole thing is that it's progressive every time and uh, the point is not to achieve but the point is to serve the absolute truth and uh, in service means relationship right and relationship means service so it's it's like asking uh, even in even in the material life is it really uh, is it really possible to understand one single person completely very difficult right and we are talking of the absolute person the infinite person so how do you expect that to happen but definitely to a great degree you can and develop a relationship and once you develop that relationship uh, it is very satisfying to the self i think you mentioned something to me that you said even though there's still so much more that we would still need to achieve before getting to the absolute truth but you should look back and see how much you've already achieved exactly that that is a that is a 
that is inherent in the process is just like when you're climbing the mountain right so when when you're reaching the peak it may be really difficult and you may lose hope and really feel frustrated feel tired uh, feel oh my god i'm not going to do it but if you just look back and see the the path that you've actually climbed it, it it's so hope given right and you see oh wow i've done so much already so it's just a question of a bit more Uh, but I think the the quest that we're talking about and the mountain we're talking about is not the materialistic one but Definitely. the spiritual one. Definitely. I think there is a, a huge degree of separation between those two concepts. I'm just giving you an analogy to appreciate the uh, the process the of process but definitely uh, uh, that's why Krishna says in the Bhagavad Gita niha prakrama nasusti pratvai vidyate svarpa mati dharmasya trayatumayatumaya There is nothing to fear on this path. It's it's not like an examination where you fail or you pass, right? Usually, in an examination, either you fail or you pass. But in this, even giving an exam is victory in itself. So, just like uh, uh, in this lifetime, suppose you have you have been a very renowned economist, uh, and in your old age you pass away. you take a new body you don't remember anything of your past life right but in the spiritual path for any person wherever he has begun that's like his eternal bank balance that will never diminish so even if he is unsuccessful in this lifetime in his next life he'll begin from where he has left but that's a very important concept in the vedic culture is the belief of afterlife right yeah not the belief the transmigration of soul which is It's not a question of belief. Transmigration. See, yeah. <laughs> so you may believe the sun rises to the east, or you may not believe. But the fact is, the sun will rise in the east. But how is it a fact that there is transmigration of life? Do you know that, or? Well, you know, even in in the English language, even the daily usage of English language, when you say a person is dead, uh, in the euphem, you know, like in the uh, in a very gentle way, what would you say? The person has passed away. Passed away. Yeah. yeah. So what the person is passed away the body is there right what is passed away the soul the the spirit the, the consciousness the soul the spirit has passed away right even in even in your normal colloquial uh, usage yeah you you are accepting the fact that the body is separate from the soul or you are separate from the body uh it's very simple even in common sense usage you know you say my hands my legs my eyes my intelligence my mind my heart so what is that my when you are saying my hand when you are saying my legs isn't it doesn't it mean that it's a, a relationship of belonging to me so who is that me but that's that is a very different claim from saying that there is transmigration of life afterwards that there is a that you take on another i'm just saying it's is the part of accepting that the soul is separate from the body okay right and uh, the point is if the soul is separate from the body then what is the soul so if the, if the body has if the soul has passed from the body we say see see the even the usage is we say he has passed away right so when you say passed away that means it's moving just like we say time has passed right we don't say time is dead we say time has passed passed to somewhere yeah So when you say well he has passed away that means he has passed to somewhere and in the vedic tradition you tend to yeah we also say oh chal basa 
चले गया I mean it's it's a very common uh, understanding it, it uh, of course i'm just uh, talking in terms of how it's even you know accepted in the traditional uh, common parlance but uh, uh, but also if you analyze scientifically i forget the person's name but there are many scientists who actually studies this you know like near death experiences and there is even a lot of uh, scientific collaboration for uh, Uh, for people coming up with uh, remembrance of their past life, which substantiates substantiates in a more uh, that is I don't know if that's the right word, but in a more scientific way, that how there is life after death. Okay. Okay. That right. that that that's interesting. So so I think we so what is the significance of establishing that the soul is. Separate from the body. I mean, that kind of establishes the separation between the materialistic world and the spiritual world, and that there's two different paths that we that we embark on. Yeah, it's more like you know, for a person going uh, in a in a cinema theater. So as soon as we enter the cinema theater, you know, what's the first thing they do? Ask you to buy ticket or buy popcorn or no, oh, uh, just as soon as you come in the theater, the first thing is they switch off the lights. Right, right, and as soon as they switch off the lights, the This projector rolls, rolls right, and you can see the whole movie on the screen. And look, look at the expression of the people. You know, with every uh, any joke that is there on in the movie, they'll start, <laughs> they'll start laughing. Any action movie, they get so involved. Uh, any any terrifying scene, they're so terrified. Why do you think that happens? Because they are connected with the imagery, they are connected with what happened. Exactly, because they're identifying. It's not only uh, what what is the word you use? Connected. Yeah, connected. So they're that's yeah that's they're identifying, right? They're identifying with the characters in the uh, in the movie that's rolling on. So you know when you when you see the hero actually you know like having a romantic scene or having an action scene, you feel thrilled. Why should you be thrilled? Because you are actually identifying yourself with the hero, and you think, "Oh, it's me," <laughs> right? Similarly, is how it moves with the body and the soul. Uh, as soon as the soul is covered by the darkness of ignorance, it starts identifying with this body, which is like a projected illusion, right? So, w- when when your soul identifies with the body, that's actually bad. That's 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 illusion. That's the illusion. <laughs> So the illusion means I believe that and this body. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So, and the whole Vedic culture is to is to purify your existence to appreciate the fact that you are not the body. You are not this matter, but you are the spirit soul which is beyond the body. The body is just like a covering on your soul. And the body actually is defined into two: a subtle body and a gross body. The subtle body is made of mind, intelligence and false ego. while the gross body is made of the panch mahabhuts that is earth water fire sky and ether so one is material the other is spiritual in that sense or uh, no one is gross matter one is subtle matter and the spirit is beyond this okay and to appreciate the fact that the spirit soul is part and parcel of the absolute truth and its happiness lies in serving the absolute truth that is the goal of life that is what is called as dharma or religion 
रिलीजन इज अ लूज ट्रांसलेशन ऑफ दर्ल्ड धर्म बट परो धर्म एक्चुअली मीन्स और दूट रिलीजन इन इन द ट्रू सेंस मीन्स द कॉन्स्टिट्यूशनल पोजिशन ऑफ एन ऑब्जेक्ट Okay so my bodily dharma yes. could be to become a scientist now you get it and right then my right. spiritual one is the same as your spiritual exactly. one exactly and that is where the equality is there is where the equality among men and women among rich and poor among uh, educated and uneducated lives the equality is in, is on the spiritual strata on the spiritual platform and 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 as we strive in our lives we're striving to achieve greater spiritual elevation exactly you so, get it tiger <laughs> so a poor person could be more spiritually enriched yes. enriched <laughs> than a rich man exactly and that is where where that actually matters yes now you get it and the rich man would be fooled and, and and delusional if he thinks that his bodily success right means spiritual success whether he See, is i'm not i'm not demeaning a materialistic success in any way but my point is term of prioritizing the priority just like a, if a man is drowning the priority is not to save his clothes the priority is to save him right similarly in this material world it's not that material success is uh, is useless or it does not matter it does matter but the priority is the spiritual one is the spiritual aspect that is the difference the vedas say between human life and animal life animal life you don't have this intelligence of discrimination intelligence of discrimination discrimination in the sense of what matters does matter matter or spirit matters so as a as as a being with intelligence i should be able to tell exactly that i should prioritize my spiritual life right. over the material life exactly but it but it doesn't mean that my bodily life needs to become a monk in order to reach that spiritual life not that's the, that, that's why we went not back to the point where you said 99% of the people are not monks and yes. they could still reach the yes. spiritual definitely definitely you can be materially successful and and be spiritually successful you may be materially a failure and still be spiritually successful you may be spiritually successful or be a material failure or you may be a failure in both the choice is yours but but, but the point is as far as material success and failure is concerned you are really bonded by your karma but as far as spiritual success is concerned in that sense you can really use the uh, phrase that man is the architect of his own fortune you have a choice So I think that goes back to a very interesting social debate. I think many of our uh, trip participants, many of our friends are also talking about. So it seems to me that you're saying everyone is capable of achieving greater spiritual elevation. Yes. That is where equality is. But but, but what if we look at someone who is let's say mentally disabled? Yes. Mentally disordered. Yes. That's one case. And also maybe another case where someone is born in very very unfortunate circumstances such as a child slave a child soldier uh and 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 so so I, then the question is are there any fun foundations materialistic foundations 
bodily foundation that are necessary for one, in order for one to make the appropriate choices, in order for one to reach that spiritual elevation. Honestly speaking, if you study the Vedic literature, there are umpteen examples. You know, just to glorify this process of yoga, it gives us examples not only from, human, from unfortunate human circumstances, but also from the animal kingdom. Even from the animal kingdom, if by chance one comes in touch with this process of yoga, even he can be delivered. What to speak of human, unfortunate human beings. So, so the, those people... We have a very typical example of Valmiki Muni. Valmiki Muni is the author of Ramayana, one of the most famous uh, itihasas or histories in Vedic literature. The Smriti Shastras. Who is, who is the one who described the whole uh, life of Lord Ram when he enacted his pastimes on this earth? So he in his previous life was a hunter. And he was addicted to, you know, like... Uh, not only killing, but even harming animals just for the pleasure of, uh, you know, harming them. <laughs> but he comes in uh, contact with a sage called, uh, whose name is Narada. And by his influence, so Ra Narada actually just tells him, see for you, if you really want to give up this, this sinful life, please chant the names of Lord Ram. But he's so sinful. I mean, Ram is such a simple uh, syllable to chant, just two syllables. Ram, but he's just not able to do that because of his sinful conditioning. So he, he says, he says I can reach and Mara. Mara actually means uh, dead, because he was used to killing, right? So he says I can reach really and I said, okay, it doesn't matter. You chant Mara. So, but because of his influence, he says Mara, 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 Mara. So if you chant Mara, Mara, Mara continuously, it becomes Ram, Ram, Ram. So just by that process, this hunter became one of the most enlightened, realized souls. But that's such an abstract example. Do you think that, hap that would happen in today's world? Do you think that's possible? To Definitely. If you, see the, uh, if you see the life of His Divine Grace, A.C. Bhaktivedanta Swami Prabhupada, uh, who brought uh, this culture to the West. In fact, he started in New York. Uh, this is a recent contemporary figure. Yes, 1965, right? Not very far, 1965-66. And he went uh, to this area of Bowery. You know what the Bowery area is. You know, yeah. where you have all the bumps and the drunkards. And yeah. So this is the area that he went. And most of the people that he took into his movement were from this area, from this type of background, from this type of lifestyle. Uh, hippies and uh, drunkards, uh, yeah, the flower children, whatever you may call them, uh, but uh, socially like disconnected. But they, they, but they took up this lifestyle and did amazing things, achieved success materially and uh, even spiritually. Uh, in fact, one of his uh, disciples, as you may know, is uh, Mr. Alfred Ford. You know, the great grandson of Mr. Henry Ford. Yeah. Yeah, so he became disciple of A.C. Bhaktivedanta Swami Prabhupada. The Beatles, he went to the Beatles ashram. Yeah. So George Harrison later in his life, actually not formally, but uh, with a very close relationship, accepted uh, his divine grace, A.C. Bhaktivedanta Swami Prabhupada as his spiritual perceptor. So if you see his songs, you know, like if you, I don't know if you've heard his songs, uh, My Sweet Lord and uh, 
there's one more which I am not able to remember now. But if you hear his songs, many of these songs were inspired because of his connection with uh, uh, Shri Prabhupada. So, so you're saying everyone is capable Definitely. of being enlightened in some way. Definitely, in the complete way. Why some way? In complete way. That is what the Vedas offer. Not some way. The point is. Atato Brahma Jigyasa. Now that that is how the Vedanta Sutra, the Vedanta aphorism starts. Atato Brahma Jigyasa. Atato Brahma Jigyasa means now. Now that you have achieved a human birth, please inquire into the absolute truth. That is the first uh, imploration that the Vedanta Sutra is saying. Now that you have inquired, oh dear soul, now that you have inquired a human birth, please. Please explore about the absolute truth. Interesting. Okay, that 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 is something. Uh, so you wouldn't even say that's controversial. I think it might be controversial among uh, the non-believers. <laughs> <laughs> In one sense, there is no true non-believer. Uh, it's it's just question of time. It's just question of time. And uh, everyone deep within their heart knows this fact. Usually people try to avoid uh, the acceptance of an absolute personality uh, because of the consequences that follow. In the sense, you know, even in a family, if you accept your father, you know you have, if, if you accept your father in the sense, you know that you have to listen to what he has to say. Right? And people usually don't like to be told what they're supposed to do. That goes, that analogy goes even with this, you know. Once you know there is an absolute personality, you know you have to, you have to accept what he's saying and people don't like that. <laughs> but just I said to you, you know, the regulations in the Vedas are actually there not to pull you down, but to make your consciousness rise higher. Like, you know, I always give this example of flying the kite. The string is not pulling the kite. The string is helping the kite to fly higher. Similarly, the rules and regulations in the Vedas given by the Absolute Truth is not a bondage. It is actually there to help the soul realize higher truths, to move up in its consciousness. So from you, a lower consciousness to a higher consciousness. And then the more you accept some of those parts of Vedas, the more elevated your consciousness is. Yeah, the more blissful you are, the more happy you are, the more content you are, the more satisfied you are. You know, otherwise, why should anyone listen to anyone? And everybody says freedom, 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 freedom. Right. Freedom for what? Freedom from what? Freedom from this engagement of space and time. That's the real engagement. In your from your body. Yes. You you are actually trapped in space and time because you have this material body. If you go beyond that, you go beyond space and time. That is real freedom. Uh, I think it would be very interesting if we go a little bit deeper on this freedom concept concept because indeed, as you just said, so many people nowadays, especially I guess in America, they, they always say, don't tell me what to do with my body, with my you know, belief, uh, with, with, with my anything, with my yeah. identity, with, which I think from a non-religious, just a social perspective, it, it makes sense. You know, women don't want to be told what they want to do with their body. Minorities don't want them to be told what they what, what they can do, exactly. and so that, that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, so, so when they hear this kind of religious scripture telling them what to do and what not to do, of course they will not be happy. So, so, and you are saying, 
uh, you have to look at it from a different angle because you're, if you actually look into it, you'll realize that by listening to it, you're achieving greater freedom. Yes. So that's why I said that, you know, we are talking of so many restrictions, so much bondage, but real bondage is because of space and time. If you can go beyond space and time, you're free. Going beyond space and time is only possible if you realize your spiritual identity. It's all the case of misidentification. A person is not able to realize his true identity. At one time he feels, oh, I'm the son of my father. At one time he feels, oh, I'm the friends of my friends. At one time, other time he feels, oh, I'm the beloved of my lover. At one time he feels, oh, probably I'm a student of my teacher. At one time he feels something else. You know, he has so many identities. He really doesn't know what, what role. And you may say, oh, well, these are different roles that we have to play. But he doesn't realize his true identity as part and parcel of the absolute truth. So there's definitely a component of relationship between me and the absolute truth. Yes. And relationship means you can have relationship only between personalities. You can't have relationship between formless things. So it's not like I'm just listening to those rules. No, you, you, the whole point is to strike a relationship with the absolute truth. It's just like we both are talking now. We're, we're having a relationship. Right. So, so when I'm talking about a relationship, uh, it's, it's something of, yes, this is what you can do with the absolute truth. You can sit with him. You can talk with him. You can play with him. You can serve him. You can be friends with him. Uh, you can have great time with him. You can have fun with him. This, the material world is nothing but a, perfect, a, a perverted reflection of the spiritual world because of your impure uh, desires. So, so I can say that it's not that you are being told by the Vedic scripture of what to do. It's that as you build this relationship with the absolute truth, you have this awareness to regulate yourself, discipline yourself in certain ways. Yes, very nice because this is the whole point. It's the way to see the Vedic literature is not like do's and don'ts. It's more like signposts. You know, just to give you an idea, are you moving on the right path? Just like uh, when you enter a state, a country which you have never been into, you have different signboards, right? If you want to go to New York, please turn left, then take a right, then go straight ahead. So are these signposts actually bounding you? No. No. They're like, they're Taking directing you. you. They're directing you, right? They're, they're showing you the way. They're not saying turn left. Turn right. No, they're just showing you the way. If you take a left now, then go straight ahead, then take a right, and then you reach your destination. That's exactly what the Vedic literature is doing. Those rules, they are not in one say rules and regulations. They are more like signposts. They're telling you, oh, this is this is where you are. Now, if you go right, oh, this is where you reach. If you go take left, this is where you reach. If you go straight ahead, this is where you reach. This is the way leading you to the absolute but, but Premji, who is telling me that? I don't think there's a godly voice telling me that. It's, it's, it's humans telling me that. It's society telling me that, though. Do, do you see what I'm saying? Because if, if we've talked about the casteist system. Just, uh, like, just, it's, know, it's, it's, just like if someone has reached New York from, say, Los Angeles, right? So he has traversed that way. So if he puts signposts along, 
in the right way as he has traversed. Definitely, it's like a guideline for the people who are going to follow back behind. Okay. Right. Similarly, for people who have achieved the absolute truth under guidance from their predecessors, they can tell the people after them to, and that is very different from say something a social institution like the caste system, which we talked about, which you actually consider as a abuse of. No, I'm not saying. Of, yeah, I'm not saying it's an abuse. I'm just saying that it has been abused, and that's why it has given a. Uh, a different notion in the Western world view of what the caste system is, but as I said, the caste system actually is a very uh, is a very uh, sophisticated system where the the psychophysical nature of a person is gauged from his birth, so his core competence in terms of his skills and the inner comfort that he has in doing a particular job are really understood, appreciated, and he is inspired. To continue on that path, so that materially he is comfortable, successful, and at the same time he can achieve his spiritual goals. So, it so is just like you know, an aptitude test: is this person um, going to make a good doctor, or a good engineer, or a good economist, or a good lawyer? And then, what do what does the person, what does the mentor or the counselor say? See, your aptitudes, your competence shows. That you'll be a good lawyer. So that's the religious definition of the caste system, the the, the religious backing, of the, the kind of the religious. This is, I would say, the scientific backing for the caste system. Okay, so the idea was supposed to be that it gives you a guideline of you're right. suitable exactly. to be a priest and you're suitable to be exactly. a. Exactly. And certain political institutions, social institutions, took that. Yes. And misinterpreted it and presented a different version. Definitely, it is just like you know, uh, it is just like uh, suppose you have. Uh, one of one of the teachers or professors or maybe like uh, principals not i'm not saying they are like this but it's everywhere like any institution or if if you are like a principal in a college and probably you will just put in your put your child in you know because i'm the principal i don't have to take an uh, entry exam he's my child he'll do it man any case that's everywhere right such type of things are everywhere so it's it was similarly there in the uh, empty uh, in the uh, application of the caste system uh, in this subcontinent definitely see any system can be abused but that does not mean that the process itself is uh, has to be discarded interesting um, I, I think we, we we talked about this uh, the term abuse for for a bit right now and I w wanted to hear your thoughts on this because it seems that nothing is perfect, right? Definitely. Social institutions, political institutions. Religious institutions, spiritual institutions, everyone. And, and human beings. Definitely. Uh, and I think in, on this trip, uh, it's, it's been very interesting because we, we went to visit uh, Gandhi's old place in, in Mumbai. We went to... I mean, let's talk, talk about Gandhi. I and mean, A lot of people have said... You know some of the abuses he kind of had towards women in, in in his time in his ashram and stuff like that. But a lot of other people say, obviously he's a has been universally recognized as a great man that led to this kind of liberation of, of the Indian people and things like that. So how how do you look at people's complexity, the complexity of humanity, of that everybody has sometimes very bad flaws, even though they're great men. It really defines how you define what is great. So technically, Mahatma in the Vedic culture is what is what you would loosely translate as great, you know. 
But Mahatma actually means one who has realized the absolute truth. He's a Mahatma. So, uh, so that's why I'm saying the whole lifestyle is based in connection with the absolute truth. And definitely we have great personalities with some flaws. Uh, it's just like saying, you know, the moon has some dark spots. But the spoon nevertheless, the moon nevertheless gives so much light. So you don't criticize the moon for the dark spots. So, yes, uh, it's leaving the absolute truth. That's why he's absolute. It's difficult to find anyone without any flaws in this material world. Definitely, every living entity, individual, maybe he's a popular person or he's not such a popular person, will have some shortcomings. Uh, now it's up to you what you really want to take from them. The whole point is uh, just like a honeybee is always looking for honey everywhere. Right? So wherever he sits, he starts taking the nectar from that place. While vis-a-vis -vis, we compare to a fly, the fly is always looking for filth and dirt. Right? So it really depends upon your mentality, what you are looking for. Yes. Uh, in this material world, definitely you cannot find a perfect person. I'm not giving you an utopian idea uh, or selling you a utopian idea. Every person will definitely have faults uh, and you have to see what really is working for you. But, but are you saying that if someone uh, in the materialistic sense com committed some mistakes or have certain flaws, but as long as they are spiritually elevated and, and becoming more and more conscious and getting closer and closer to the absolute truth. No, they're, I'm not justifying. I'm not justifying, but I'm saying to err is human. To err is human. So accidentally, if someone has made a fault, not that that is his habit. Once, once upon a time, you know, he did something wrong. Fine. But, but if it's his habit, definitely I'm not... Uh, Okay. <laughs> How does the Vedic culture sort of define uh, good and bad and that kind of sin and glory anything in that, that lifts, sense? Anything uh, that lifts uh, the individual and the uh, consciousness of a community is... Is defined as good. Yeah. It's a simple definition. Elevation of consciousness. Consciousness. Individually, collectively. So uh, if, if someone uh, abuses, let's say it's a he, he abused the power, uh, he committed certain huge flaws, uh, but he's also done great things. Uh, no, they don't compensate. It's, it's just like saying you get rewarded for what you have done and you get punished for what you have done. So both will happen at the same time. Yes. So it's not like you will... No, no, no. Don't try to say that, oh, because I've done so much good, I'm justified in doing so much bad and they cancel each other. No, no, it doesn't work like that. It doesn't work like this. You okay. get awarded for what you have done and you get punished for what you have done. So, so, it's, so, it's, so the whole point is to actually rise above this good and evil and get connected to the absolute truth. Is there, uh, is there something equivalent as hell or punishment, things like that in the Vedic uh, culture? That, yes, that there are and there are well-defined hells. It's not only a concept of hell. Uh, the concept of hell is very uh, vast, very well-defined. Uh, in terms of uh, uh, in terms of uh, being a specific place, in terms of being a condition, uh, in terms of punishment, uh, also as a means of letting people know that you can't just get away with doing whatever you want to. But see, all these things fall into. Uh, uh, a secondary uh, realm 
in the sense the focus of the vedas is always to understand the absolute truth and these things are more like uh, there uh, for a person to appreciate in the sense that he has to be very careful with his words thoughts and actions got you so it's not like someone can do whatever they want in the material world and they say oh i'm spiritually elevated and exactly. i'm and i'm good to go exactly you have to be very cautious very conscientious of whatever you speak whatever you think whatever you do and and, and i think that's a very complex analysis in in that in that part yes. uh so you said to err is part of human nature uh and i guess i guess we also touched on it a little bit i think we we quickly went over that sentence uh, it's it's about desire so it seems that to desire is also part of human nature well to desire is the is the prime symptom of life you you cannot be desireless uh, to to be desireless is also a desire so if someone comes to you and say i have no desire that's a lie uh Well, see, in the Vedic uh, literature, desirelessness has been mainly used to define uh, or to to express uh, being rid of or being free from material desires. But desire you have to, if not material, then spiritual. And the whole point is to fill yourself with so many spiritual desires that automatically your attachment for material desires is let loose. you're free of them it is just like to fill the glass in such a way that nothing else fits in now so when you fill yourself with so much spiritual desire there is no way that the material desire can enter that in sense has been defined as desirelessness to be free from material desires uh, i i think you you and here here material desires basically means uh in a sense of uh, fulfilling your desires of the mind body and ego in that sense got you so uh, attaching your spiritual success or spiritual elevation to some kind of materialistic object like if i get this job i will be happy or if i if i so 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 you again we need to separate the materialistic one and the and the spiritual at the same time it does not negate the um, the natural proclivities of uh, see the point is to realize that your I'm not this body but at the same time also to appreciate that though I'm not this body still I'm in possession of this body and I have to do something about it okay right? um so so you you have to go do something you cannot just be desireless exactly so it is it is a is a point of appreciating both these facts first to understand that you're not this body but the spirit soul but at the same time to also appreciate that though you are the spirit soul still you have this body and you have to do something about it so you have to make good use of the bad bargain of having this body and how <laughs> and how you do it actually comes in the sub religious principles or in the system of the varnashram system that is the caste system as we were discussing well there's there's a lot to 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 unpack this so i think the, the so going back to the question of the desire the, the reason why i ask it is because it seems that a lot of times people will say ah oh, if you have no desire you have no pain right you have no pain if you have no desire so all no pain no pain no suffering that that you know most of our misery uh our, our stress and everything is derived from desire so if i desire to get a good grade on this you know paper i'm writing 
uh, and if I don't get a good grade, then I suffer. But if I have no desire, if I don't care, no, I then, 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 then I'm good. <laughs> no, no, it's not, see, it's not a question of uh, having no desire. That's why I said, it's, it's the point of appreciating two facts. So you have a desire to have a good grade, which is good. Nothing wrong in it. But at the same time, if you have an, you have an understanding of the limitations of your, of your uh, capabilities, that helps you to negotiate your desire, your results, right? Your expectations, right? So nothing wrong. You can have a desire, but at the same time, you have to have a true understanding of your competence, of your capabilities. But definitely desire, desire, that is the symptom of life. What is the difference between matter and spirit? Desire, matter cannot desire. But, but, but Premji, the, the, I, I, I understand the separation between materialistic desire and spiritual desire. So say, if I just want to buy a lot of iPhones, and, and if I just want to make a lot of money, that seems to be a bad desire. But if I want to achieve greater spiritual no, 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 elevation... No, 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 it's not so, it's not so black and white. It's not so, no, it's not so black and white. If, you want to, if you're a businessman, you want to make money, what's wrong? Businessmen, business means to make money. Definitely. That's what the definition of business is. Right? Okay. Right? So, definitely you can, you can make more money. But the point is what... Prioritize. Yeah. And, and the point is what means you use. I mean, you just don't cut anyone's throat and try to make a profit, right? But money you can definitely make. Yes. Use your intelligence to make money. What's the problem? Got you. Yes. There's no harm. Because that's see that's the proclivity of uh, the person in that body. He's a businessman. That means he has the he has this uh, uh, disposition of doing trade, making trade in a profitable way. Definitely, he should use this uh, propensity to make money. Then, when the money comes, and he can use it for various uh, charitable purposes and various uh, purposes which help the consciousness of the people to rise higher. Nothing wrong in that. But a person who does not have that disposition, who does not have that competence, and when he tries to get into this, into that, then he messes his life and other people's life, both materially and spiritually. That <laughs> is he messes it. Yeah. Yes, that is not what is encouraged. That is why you need guidance in every step of your life. See, you have an aptitude to be a doctor, but just because you, you want to be an engineer for some X, Y, Z reason, which is not compatible with your psychophysical nature, you mess up with yourself and other people's life. Right, because if you if I become a doctor, even though I'm not supposed to suitable to be a doctor, exactly. then you kill someone. <laughs> exactly. Okay, I, I, I see the logic there. That's that is where that is why you need guidance from people who are experienced uh, uh, to understand and to appreciate what will make you a successful person. Uh, with this body and beyond this body. But but I think that the, the but the issue is if I have a desire to make the world a better place. To, nice. to alleviate sufferings. Definitely. And I walk on the street and I see people still suffering. And 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 I I don't feel good about it. Just like very nice. This is a very natural symptom for any person with a human being, such type of feelings are so natural. And, and, I, and I feel pain. I, I'm painful. I'm sad. Definitely. Uh, it's, any person, you know, will empathize, sympathize with such type of thing. 
if he's a human being. Uh, the fact is to understand what is suffering. Just like if a if a boy, you know, uh, has forgotten his home, he's lost, and he's lying on the street. A person walks by, sees that you know he's shivering in the cold. He comes and gives him a blanket. Isn't it nice? Another person walks by and sees, oh my God, he's suffering from hunger. He gives him some food. Isn't that good? Right? Good. The third person walks by and sees, oh my God, this boy belongs to this person. What is he doing here? And he says, oh, I'm a lost my way. I do not know how to go back to my home. He says, come, I'll take you. And he takes him and brings back to him to his home. Right? So who out of these three people do you think has really done the most for this boy, for this lost boy? The third person. Right? This is what all spiritual perceptors or spiritual life is, all, is about. The spiritual life is actually telling you, my dear, my dear friend, this material world is not your home. Whew. You are lost here. Please come out of this material forest. Come back to the home of the Absolute Personality. So, so am I supposed to go around telling people that instead of giving them food or, or...? Do what you can. Did I say the person who gave food was wrong? Did I say the, uh, the person who gave clothing was wrong? Very good. But definitely they cannot substitute the person who took the boy back to his home, right? Okay, so the, so the spiritual part is kind of the... One of the determinants. As, as Jesus said, you know, uh, was it Jesus? I don't remember. Uh, why give them fish if you can teach them fishing? Right. That's the whole point. So, the point is, you are in this material world. This material world is full of sufferings. In the sense, it has birth, old age, disease, and death. For any person, he cannot escape this. He cannot escape miseries caused by living entities like mosquitoes. They keep on biting you, right? You go ahead and keep on scratching insects, other human beings, then your own mind, your own body, right? And natural disasters. You can't just escape. Everybody has to go through all these sufferings. Let him be rich, poor, educated, uneducated. It's inevitable. Everybody in his life will face these different types of sufferings. Why? Because that is how the material world is created. To finally make you realize that you are not the enjoyer, you are not the supreme enjoyer, and you are not the supreme controller. The problem is that everybody is trying to be the supreme enjoyer and the supreme controller, which he is not. He can only be, he can only enjoy to the extent that he uh, uh, agrees to cooperate with the absolute truth. Ooh, so, so you're saying for someone like me, if I really want to help with world suffering and I want to do some good and I do some good and I feel like, oh, I'm still not making enough of an impact or that the world is still filled with suffering and it pains me. How should I feel? I'm not supposed to feel, oh, that's just the nature of world and I just got to move no, on. No, definitely you should do your best, but also realize the limitation of what you're doing. You, it's just like you can see that 100 people are drowning but if you can save one definitely you should but if you have a boat that can carry all the 100 then back, you should do the then definitely you know the boat matters 
But if I save the one and I see the 99 die, drowning. At least you know that you saved one. But that is a very tough truth to right. accept for a lot of people. Exactly. That's why I said that finally one has to understand that this material world means suffering. But that does not mean that we are just uh, uh, laid back uh, audience. No, we try to do whatever we can. So we try to do whatever we can now. And at the same time, we try to increase our capacity to contribute. But does it also mean that if I only give them food, I will always be the first person and the second person to give the boy clothing and food, but never help the boy get to his home? In the sense that if I focus so much on materialistic no, helping... You may, no, you may help. You may definitely help in the sense you may contribute in helping him just like, you know... But I'm not, I'm not doing as much as someone like you would. No, it is, uh, no, it is just spiritually. Like, no, it is just like saying, you know, uh, is is the hand more important, the leg more important, or the brain more important, or the stomach more important in the body? Everything is important. You cannot do without anything, right? But definitely, on a comparative basis, the intelligence, the brain is really important, Ooh. right? But still, but everyone has a dharma. Exactly. So maybe I'm supposed to just help with the yes. leg, or I'm supposed to help yes. with the brain. So because because you are helping him with providing food, so he survives, and probably in his future life he may come across the spiritual path. He has come across the spiritual path because much because have, of you. Because, because of you me. have fed him. You have you have kept his body together. So right? it's still a critical contribution. Very right. important. Right. Okay. So so uh, okay. That, that that makes sense. Uh, and. I think a lot of times when I hear people uh, respond to the, the way they respond to worldly suffering is by just not looking at it. We're not caring about it anymore in the sense that they, they don't read the news. They don't, uh, they, they go away, try to maybe be in the forest or something, be completely detached. <laughs> I, I would say that that is like, like an escapist, you know, you, you, you try to run away from And, and then they say they're happy. Then they say they're happy. They are, they are seeking spiritual elevation, and then yeah, they may be happy, but the point is, uh, but that's not the point. You, say, you don't they, think they are not loving. Phew. Right? Just like if your mother is happy, what is the first thing she'll do? She'll share that happiness with you. Right. Because she loves you. Right. And if you say that I am happy, right, and at the same time are not. Uh, disturbed or moved rather by the unhappiness of your fellow beings that is really being selfish right that is what is called as material concept of life just me and my body ah that is in fact against this whole principle exactly wow so so again we should take on the baton take on the responsibility help the right. world it's a natural thing uh, anyone See, anyone who says that he loves the absolute truth or the absolute personality, that love will automatically be manifested as compassion towards his fellow beings. You cannot say that you have achieved the supreme absolute without being compassionate for your fellow beings. It goes hand in hand. That same love for the supreme being manifests as compassion for your fellow beings. So what is the, the, the degree? What is the uh, degree of contribution, degree of compassion? I could say, oh, I, I stay in the woods and I say hi to my neighbors and that's it. Even though I could go out there in the world, but I, 
I just want to stay. You can do whatever you can do, but mainly if you see from the Vedic Vedic perspective, uh, you know we we have very nice story. Now since you asked me this, you know of Bharat Maharaj, he was he was the king of this earth, uh, very spiritually elevated, and at one point he decided now it's time for me to retire from my kingly duties. I should give it to my sons and focus more on the spiritual path. and when he was in the forest focusing on his spiritual path he once happened to see that a deer has been has given birth to a baby deer and as soon as she gives birth and she, you know it just happens that she falls prey to one of the predators but the child is saved because the king sees it and you know he takes the child takes care of this uh, small deer and the deer grows that was because of his natural compassion as he was practicing spiritual life the love was automatically manifesting as compassion towards all fellow beings including animals and plants okay but at one time he became so attached to the deer that he gave up his spiritual practices his spiritual practices slowly slackened and his whole consciousness instead of being in the spiritual path became focused on the deer and thus he fell from the spiritual path so one has to be very careful just like when you're treating a patient you know the doctor is treating a patient he has to be very careful that how he should also immunize himself from catching that disease right so that he can treat more patients so so i i see your point so it's not like if i just sit in a temple and just uh meditate on my own i am reaching greater spiritual consciousness it's about uh, if it's someone is saying that if someone is saying that he's only cheating himself because it is inherent that's what i'm saying it is it is it is the sign of a developing relationship a developing love between the absolute and the living entity that manifests as contribution towards his fellow beings he cannot stay alone you cannot stay alone exactly exactly Ooh. it has to it has to come out as compassion to your fellow beings if it is not being it is it is not coming out in that way something is wrong somewhere <laughs> so so i as a princeton student as as someone who wants to become an economist or uh, someone who works in finance or whatever i have to keep doing i mean if that's my bodily dharma i will continue to do that and it doesn't mean that if i become a monk i will reach greater spiritual no and, and you may you may in fact uh, move ahead than a monk just by practicing your uh, your own uh, duty and and as i pra- practice those duty I, I and i look at those worldly sufferings yes i need to acknowledge that i can just do whatever i can exactly uh to help as much as i can definitely but the outcome is not up to me in that sense the no. the final outcome the the i cannot change the world the the not change the world in 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 the sense of yes that the material world is a place of suffering because it has been designed in that way it's just like saying uh that you're going to the hospital and you want to be sure that there are no patients and hospital is meant for patients right but what is the objective of the doctor that the patient should recover and go back but still there will be more patients that's how the material world is is a place of suffering there will always be people suffering they'll be suffering from birth old age disease and death 
They'll have these miseries caused by other persons, by their own bodies and by natural disasters. No one can escape this. But and that does not mean that you stop doing what you can to alleviate the misery. It's not like I look at the world and I go, there's nothing I can do. Exactly. So it is in the sense that you understand that this is the limitation. At the same one, yes, I can also contribute. I'm not hopeless. I'm not helpless. But I also cannot. But also that I'm not utopian. I'm not, I'm not thinking something very utopian. Oh, there will be no misery and everyone will be happy. That's not possible in this material world. Sorry. Sorry. For, for any utopians who think, oh, so there will be no person with any more hunger and there will be no person with any more clothing and you know, everything will be hunky-dory. Sorry. There will always be birth. There will always be disease. There will always be old age. There will always be death. Ah, uh, those are some harsh, stone cold truth. And can any anyone really defy them? <laughs> I don't know. Uh, I I I think it's it's a really hard realization for for people to. I think a lot of people take a cynical view of that. They they look at that and go, "You cannot do anything. Just feed yourself and." Make sure you and your family are happy and, and but even if I mean, if you take a view it doesn't really matter sometimes you're going to fall sick sometimes your old age is going to strike you and sometimes death is going to embrace you you cannot escape it and nobody can nobody can that that makes sense i, I also wanted to hear thoughts on the relationship between the vedic culture the vedic religion and uh other religions because i'll tell you a very I think interesting thing that happened to me personally today. So I went to the uh, Bhutanath temple. Yeah, Bhutanath. Right, right. We can see it right across the Ganga right now. Uh, so I went there this morning uh, alone. It was very, very early, nine o'clock. So there's nobody there. I went up all the way up to the tower, and then uh, as I was going in, uh, some random guy. I think he was maybe some helper around the, the temple. He just took me. He said, come with me. I will take you to see the main temple. And he took me to this little place. Uh, and he said, this is the uh, the Shiva or, or something. Shiva, Lord yeah. Shiva. Um, and, and, and he told me to kneel down with him. And he placed his hand on my forehead and he started praying. And he started praying and he, he says, what's your name? Oh, Tiger, oh, let me pray for you and your family. And he says, this whole thing is very nice, very beautiful. And then he said, donation, please. <laughs> <laughs> donation on the thing. And I, and, and, and uh, I, I thought I have to give some donations, I guess. So I, I gave a hundred rupees and I said, uh, and he said, no, 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 no. That is not enough. 500 at least <laughs> for your whole family one time one time donation helps with the whole family uh, and I was kind of scared I was, I was like well, what is this guy going to do to me I was, I was alone in this whole area so I put down 500 so he could let me go <laughs> and uh so you gave him the 500? I, I gave him the 500 and I left. But I was nervous, man. I was, uh, and, 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 and also, so that was part of it. But yeah. the other, other, other part of it is, I'm Christian. Mm -hmm. uh, I am Christian. I've always been Christian, I think, in my own way. And I, 
I've, I've, this is my third week in India, and I think every temple I visited, I've always embraced the people, the culture. Uh, I do the dances. I, uh, I, I bow down to to Lord Krishna and Lord Shiva, thinking that as as my some of my mentors like Vinid have told me, that's like you. You can think of your Christian God as you do this, as you respect those deities. It's not like you have to be a, you know, Hindi or something in order to to do this. So, so I felt quite comfortable doing that. But at one point, I felt like maybe have I done too much because I was really the guy was really taking me to kneel down and then place his hand on my forehead and praying, asked me to give money contribution. <laughs> And deep down, I was saying, I don't know what what's going to happen to me when I go back to USA. <laughs> what is my Christian God going to do to me? So I don't know. I wanted to hear a thought on that story. So I, so I, I walked away nervous, <laughs> nervous about that guy. And <laughs> two, two aspects to this. One is that uh, he may be genuinely trying to bless you. At the same time, he's also making sure that, uh, you know, he he takes some as he's giving something for your family and form a blessing. He's just making sure that you give him something for his <laughs> in terms of money. <laughs> but of course, uh, yeah, because yeah, I placed the five hundred on the on Lord Shiva, uh-huh. and then as I turned away and put on my shoes, the five hundred was gone. It's no longer for Lord Shiva anymore. So <laughs> yeah, so no, you have to be careful also because like uh, not all doctors are. Uh, uh, authorized medical practitioner. <laughs> <laughs> you can always have quacks, right? Yeah. Uh, so, yes, definitely you have to be careful. At the same time, uh, you also have to appreciate that uh, uh, there may be some people who are generally trying to bless you, but also just making sure that they are having something for their families. Both ways. But. Uh, and that is fine. That, that uh, is not, understandable. Not, not, not every time. You, you don't. Uh, you also be sure that you don't get cheated every time. <laughs> uh, yeah, you don't get cheated every time. Okay. Uh, what about the, the part of reconciling between uh, the Vedic God and the Vedic deities and Christianity? Because even my group, among my group, the 12 students, only one is Hindi. So as far as the Christian religion and my understanding about it goes, and I may be wrong, you may correct me. But the Lord Jesus Christ was uh, uh, was of uh, in terms of direction. What he was saying is, uh, try to reach uh, the Holy Father, right? That's the objective. Yeah. Uh, the point is, who is the Holy Father? Uh, a God that created this world that judges us yeah so the point is uh, the description of the Holy Father as given in Bible is limited to the description of the Holy Father as given in the Vedanta Sutra the Vedanta Sutra is very focused in developing a relation with the absolute truth and because if you want to de- develop a relation with relationship with a person, you really know to you, you really have to know his in and out. Then you can really form a relationship. As far as the Holy Father is concerned, it's more like an acknowledgement rather than a relationship that has been stressed on in the Bible. That you acknowledge the Holy Father, that He is the All Powerful One, He is the All Merciful, He is uh, All Benevolent. Uh, 
uh, he's all omnipotent, uh, he's all forgiving in that sense, in terms of qualities, right? But what is his name? We don't know. What is his form? We don't know. What is his address? We don't know. That is, what, that is where the Vedanta Sutra comes in. The Vedanta Sutra is very specific, very detailed in its description of the Absolute Truth. So you equate the Absolute Truth with the Christian God, in that sense? The, 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 the Absolute Truth is one. Just like you may, uh, the Christians may say, uh, or the English language may say, the sun has sun. Uh, the people speaking Hindi will say Surya. Ah. And uh, any other language will call it with some any other name. But the point is, it's the sun. Alright? Now, the, the fact is, how much do you understand about the sun? Most people don't understand that much. Exactly. So that is where the Bible and the Vedanta Sutra differ. The description of the son or the absolute father in the Bible is limited. It is not wrong. It is limited. The Vedanta Sutra gives a very descriptive... Uh, a better, you would say. Yes. I would not say better. I would say, say more descriptive. More detailed. <laughs> more detailed. More accurate. Uh, yes. More detailed, <laughs> accurate description of the absolute truth. Why this? The fact is, if you see, you know, like for whatever Jesus Christ said, he was crucified. Right. Right. He was, he was, he was like done in by his own people to whom he preached, right? To whom he guided, to whom he inspired. Because Jesus Christ, the type of people that he was trying to address came from such a strata of society that they were not able to digest for whatever little Jesus Christ was giving him, for giving them. And for whatever he did, they were, he was crucified. That is why he didn't get an audience where he could actually give the complete whole. The audience does not exist. That is what limited him from giving. But still, theologically, Jesus Christ did give. And we have many saints in the uh, Christian uh, lineage, like Saint Augustine. I don't know if you have heard of him. I've heard of him. Yeah, I don't know too much. And, and maybe like even to some extent, uh, uh, the Francis of Assisi. So the, there have been saints uh, who have actually realized the absolute truth very close to what the Vedanta Sutra would have us uh, realize. Interesting. So you think there are significant overlaps? Yes. Theologically, yes. Theologically, yes. Yes. But in terms of general practice, uh, I think they differ quite a lot. Yeah. And, and I think you mentioned something uh, about the fact that the, the Christianity as a religion also takes you towards the absolute truth, towards the final destination, but it only takes you half, some part of it. It doesn't take no, you the it, full way. It, it takes you, but the realization that is imparted is, is uh, uh, partial as compared to what the Vedanta Sutra could impart. But try to understand one thing. Just like, you know, you may have, uh, maybe like, suppose the University of Princeton is the number one university, right? So that does not mean that all students studying there get the top grades. It only means that most of the students get the top grades. Right? So you may have someone like from, uh, say, the University of California, which is not like the, the university. But you may have some of the students which definitely do better than the university from students from the University of Princeton. Totally makes sense. Right? Similarly, uh, you may have some saints from the 
uh, Christian lineage who are much better uh, than the saints from uh, the Vedic tradition. Yes. But still, the University of Princeton remains the number one. <laughs> right? <laughs> the, Vedic, the Vedic tradition, in this sense, remains the number one. <laughs> I was talking to a friend, they were saying, uh, I, I told them, yeah, like, uh, you know, my, my Hindu ch chaplain, uh, Vineet and, you know, Primji, they all told me that it's fine to worship all the, all the deities we see on the trip. And they were saying, yeah, it's because they're, they're, they're you know, they, 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 they're part of the Vedic culture. <laughs> if you ask a Christian priest, he would really disagree with them. Um, so, so, yeah, I, 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 see, I see what you're saying. Yeah, it's just like different universities, different schools. The point is, you see where you get a better degree. You see where, you, what helps you get a, See, the point is, you go to a university, primarily nowadays, education means you go to an university uh, which gives you a better job, a better skill set, and more money, right? So when you're choosing from a spiritual school, where do you go? Which gives you the greatest realization? Which gives you the most fulfillment? Which helps you fulfill your spiritual aspirations? And I definitely, for one, would say, maybe you may say I'm biased because I'm from that school, but the Vedanta Sutra definitely is. The, the Vedanta school is definitely giving that. It's incomparable in its theology and its philosophy and its lifestyle and what it can really give to people in society. So everything is, it comes together. Yes. Uh, it, it seems that, do, do you separate religion with values, philosophy, spirituality, do, do you separate them? So yeah, I would usually, I would at least, you know, in our, in our case, use religion more with the rituals associated with uh, a particular lifestyle. So a particular lifestyle, the Vedic lifestyle will have a certain philosophy and the ritual part is more like what you would term as religion. Uh, but we usually see the higher concept of dharma in the sense of the uh, purpose of the whole thing and that is making relationship with the absolute truth. Making a relationship with the absolute truth. Yeah. Um, so, so I could say the religion is about, tells you. It's more about the ritual part. Of that, how you do it. That's religion. Yes, just like uh, currently I have my, my uh, spiritual self is covered by my uh, material uh, gross and subtle body. The whole process of purifying that is, is, called, is the objective of the Vedic lifestyle. And the rituals that I do for that is the part of religion. So you have the you have the lifestyle, which right. which and the objective of the lifestyle is to get you to the absolute truth. Yeah. And in that process, you perform certain rituals, rituals that which help you, the, yeah. which which are the religion. Exactly. And then spirituality is your own mind's kind of. No, the spiritual aspect is the relationship, the actual relationship between the spirit soul and the absolute truth. That is the spirituality. Right. So I think a lot of people say, I'm not religious, but I'm spiritual. Yes, you can, you can say that, but then you should understand what is spirit and what is matter. It's not just a question of feeling. Usually for most of the people, uh, the sense of feeling good and feeling high <laughs> is what they define as spirituality. <laughs> they smoke, they smoke, <laughs> uh, psychedelics and everything. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But that's not spirituality. That's, that's more like uh, running away from the fact of matter and spirit both <laughs> it's kind of an experience some level of experience which which you cannot equate with spirituality exactly so it's what more like a psychedelic thing rather than <laughs> so 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 meditation right meditation people say as you meditate 
sometimes people experience that high, that kind of psychedelic state where, where they where they are so you know overwhelmed by the experience. Exactly. They think, oh, this is what is spiritual. This is what what is spirituality is. <laughs> you don't agree? No, not really. It's just this is that is psychedelic means basically connected to the psych. Psych is uh, something connected to the mind, right? So your mind is uh, your mind uh, actually in. Impart some images, some feelings, some experiences to yourself because of its conditioning. Conditioning by, as we have already learned, you know, uh, sattva, rajas, and tamoguns. And it is out of all these gunas that all these experiences are coming. It's not. It's basically material experience. That's all. It's nothing to do with spirituality. <laughs> that is why you, ah. you, you said it right when you said it's it's psychedelic. It is psychedelic. It's nothing to do with spirit. So, so even if something is, even if something that you experience your mind, it doesn't mean it's something spiritual. No, the mind. It's still is, material. Yeah, try to understand. Mind is still a part of subtle matter. A subtle part of subtle matter. That's what I told you, right? The the, the, the soul, the spirit soul, is covered by two bodies: a gross body and the subtle. Body. And the subtle body. The subtle body is made of mind, false ego, and intelligence. The gross body is made of, of earth and, and yes, water and the five elements. So when, once a person dies, if his subtle body is not purified of the material contaminations, it is the subtle body which actually carries the soul to its next material body. So then you're covered with the material filth if, you, if you're not purified. Exactly. But if so purified, when, when the person dies, what dies? The, the, the gross body. The gross body dies. But because his material desires are still not purified, the, the subtle body still sticks to the soul. And you cannot be transcended. No. In that sense. And that's why the subtle body carries the spirit soul to its next destination, that is its next body. So whatever, whatever desire is strong at the time of death, that is the body that you will get. So if you have been thinking of if you have been thinking of flying, 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 free, flying, free there, you'll get. A body of a body. Ah. Depending upon the karma that you have done. So it's just like you know, going to a mall, going to a shop, and you see different clothings. Like you bought this kurta today, right? Suppose this kurta had cost 10,000 rupees. Would you have bought it? I wouldn't have bought it. Right? So, so the desire is there that you want this kurta. Right? But you don't have the currency. Similarly, at the time of death, you have certain desires which are strongly imprinted in your subtle mind. These desires decide where you will, which, what is your next destination. But at the same time, you need the currency for going there. That is your karma. So if you have that karma, you get that body. If you don't have, then you linger in between. So if, again, if you and have so, so And so what are ghosts basically, you know, like ghosts and goblins. Ghosts and goblins are living entities who have a subtle body, but they don't have the karma to have a gross body. And that's why they hover. That's the ghost, that they are just... Yes, so they are living entities without a gross body. So the desire is there, but the instrument to fulfill that desire is not there. And that's why they try to enter into the bodies of other people.
to fulfill their desires. Oh, the, the, this is getting very scary. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, but that's what, I'm just giving you a scientific explanation in the Veda, uh, in the Vedic culture, what ghosts are. So, so you have the you have the got you. You have the people who don't have the gross, but I, but I thought people always carry the gross part. No, you you need the currency to have the gross part. You you need the subtle the the the, the currency like the subtle matter. You need the currency like the karma. Yeah, the karma. You need to have done good things. Yes. Exactly. Got you. Exactly. Okay, okay. So you need to have done enough good things. Exactly. To have the material exactly. body. So if you don't get the if you don't have the karma and you know like you ha- you still have the desires, you get a subtle body without the gross body, that is like ghostly beings. That that is why you need to do both material good and spiritual no. good and it That is why you need to transcend material existence per se. It is see material life or material world is like a prison house. Right, so you may have a A grade cell, a VIP cell, a VVIP cell, but the point is you are in the prison. You are in the prison. The whole point is to escape from the prison. That is what the Vedic lifestyle teaches you. It's not okay. This is the prison. You are miserable inside the prison. Does not mean that you have to become miserable. Take a VIP cell, or you take a third grade cell, but. Both of you are in the prison. Try to come out of the prison. And you and you meditate. You do yoga. You do all these exactly. things in order to to purify the soul, to elevate the consciousness. The soul is pure. To purify your material conditioning, that means to purify the covering on the soul. The soul is pure. The soul gets covered, just like I give you the example of watching a movie, right? Right. Yeah. And as you, as as your consciousness gets elevated, you come out with a plan to escape the the exactly. prison. Exactly. And then you escape the prison, you are free. Right. Just like if you want to travel from, uh, like we travel from Mumbai to Dehradun, I could have walked my way from Mumbai to Dehradun. I could have taken a train. I could have taken a cab. But we chose a flight. Because it's the quickest. It's the quickest. It's the most comfortable. Right. But anyone who walks his way to Dehradun will also reach. Anyone who takes a cab will also reach. Finally, everybody will reach. Right? If they're moving in the right direction. The point is, the Vedic uh, lifestyle gives everybody an opportunity. So, it doesn't say that... It says, okay, well, the material world is miserable. But it does not mean that you have to add to your misery. Be comfortable in the material world, but do not forget that finally you have to escape from it. Don't become attached to it. Don't get too comfortable in the prison. Exactly. What's the point in getting comfortable in the prison? Just like you leave, just like, okay, the fight was very comfortable. But you stay on the fight. But you don't stay on the fight. Once you have reached your destination, just give up the flight. If you keep staying in the first class flight, then you... (laughs) You're just still going round and round, reaching nowhere. Wow. Right? So yes, so we had auxiliary sciences like the Ayurveda and different technical sciences. They are called the Vedas, different limbs of the Vedas, which uh, help uh, the living entity to live comfortably as far as possible in this material world. But they keep on reminding, don't get too comfortable in this material world. Because the final goal is supposed to elevate the spiritual consciousness. To escape from the prison house. You don't stay in the prison house. And then for, therefore you have different deities. It's just like having different people who are running the jail. So the jailer is Durga. Durga means the, uh, the superintendent of this Durga. Durga means fort. 
so the material world is like a fort right now it does not have any visible uh, it does not have any visible um, chains Forms. visible chains. chains to like hold you on right but it has these uh, these uh, chains in the form of attachments in the form of aversions in the form of uh, envy in the form of pride in the form of arrogance in the form of illusions that hold you right no no visible bars to hold you but these are the invisible bars that hold you and the whole and who is the one who's actually like binding you here is durga devi right she is the one she is the superintendent the wife of lord shiva she is the superintendent of this jail so that is why in hindu uh, or very hindu lifestyle they play to uh, durga devi why because she is the controller of all material opulences and she says okay you want you want to stay in jail stay please go ahead she just make sure that no unqualified person escapes escapes <laughs> so you have so many different duties and all they all do different things to, to yeah so so the person with spiritual intelligence says yes please go to all the duties but what are you praying is what matters so you may say i visited the president of uh, the united states fine But then, what did you get out of it? Hmm. Did you just go for a photo session? What is the use? Hmm. Did 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 the meeting actually benefit him and you in any way? Hmm. Right. So when yeah, we have so many people bogged down to the duties. But what are you asking? What are you paying for? That is what matters. that is that is what matters yeah definitely that's what so so the point of our life is ultimately about finding that spiritual elevation and that's and that's what the whole uh, vedic uh, perspective is that's where the whole focus is so the vedas definitely have so many sciences which help you live very comfortably in this material world uh they help you elevate your sufferings to a great degree but finally they give you the call wake up wake up and please realize you have to escape from this prison house of material existence and how do yoga and meditation play a role in this yes so, so you know uh, like uh, many of the people in uh, practicing ashtanga yoga or the hatha yoga system get they really uh, start focusing on the asanas which is the postures which is uh, yeah which is the postures and they're very happy doing different type of uh, postures and basically they just bring down the whole exercise of yoga to more like gymnastics amazing postures they're really good yeah but the whole point of the asanas is to is to make your body fit right healthy for spiritual self realization so you are giving time for the asanas and you are really putting your heart into it without really uh, looking into what the spiritual uh, uh, purpose of the whole thing is okay so you missed the point You just make it like a sport, right? Right. So yoga is not a sport. It's not a sport. It's not gymnastics. Ah, it's it's, a, it's about spiritual elevation. So, so before asanas, you have two things: nam, yam, and niyam. Yeah. Do's and don'ts. Right. The the external and the internal restraint. Yes. Uh, so definitely, what happens with the the physical practice of the yoga is it, it increases the uh, sensory. power of your sense organs asana practice definitely helps you to keep a healthy body 
it increases the sensory perception, uh, the sensory potency of the sense organs. It is your eyes, ears, near, uh, you know, uh, tongue and your hands and your legs and all your organs. They definitely get more energetic. That is the physical aspect of the asanas. But the whole point is, you have to use these potency of your senses to elevate yourself spiritually, not to enjoy materially. What, how is intelligence defined in the spiritual and the Vedic perspective? Is to discriminate between matter and spirit. You don't have you have strong senses, but you use those senses for enjoying matter. You degrade your consciousness. You have strong senses, you use those senses for uplifting yourself spiritually, you rise higher. But both need strong senses. Even to enjoy, you need strong senses, right? If you have an if you have a weak stomach, you can't just go on eating. If you have a good strong stomach, you can really enjoy food. But is that the purpose? No. The purpose is to remain healthy, to give your time and energy for spiritual practices. So you have to strike a balance. So if I don't do yoga, if I just go on a run every day, it makes me healthy. That increases Fine. my sensory. In the sense, in the sense, if you don't do the asana aspect, yeah. the asana part of the yoga. Fine. Really? Yeah. Why not? So if I don't do, if I skip the asana practice every morning. But then, <laughs> the whole point is, uh, like you have nam, you have yam, niyam, asana, then. Pranayama, pranayama, and uh, I have my notes here. Yeah, please. Uh, it's uh, okay. So we have the yamas, mm -hmm. then yamas. Mm -hmm. So yamas the constraints, kind of the external constraints, so yeah. do's and not do's. Yamas is the observances, so the inward facing component. And then well, not exactly any of this. Something like that. Yeah. Asana is the postures, as we talked about. Yeah. And then the pranayama, which is breathing. Mm -hmm. uh, and and you have the pratyahara, which is the sort of withdrawal of senses. senses. Okay. Uh, and the dharana. Dharana. Dhyana. And then dhyana. Yeah. And samadhi. So dharana is the focus. Samadhi is the focus. Uh, yeah, I mean, dharana is the focus, but samadhi is the objective. Samadhi is the objective. The goal, yeah, the goal. And dhyana is the is the. Yeah. So if, if you can if you can reach the goal without all the preceding activities, why not? So the, the, that's the eight limbs of yoga, the eight stages, the eight components of yoga. But which yeah, but primarily we do asanas because practicing of the asanas is favorable to achieve samadhi. The final state. Yeah. But at if some point of your life you think that you cannot perform the sadhanas, uh, the asanas for some uh, some reasonable reasons, it is not a constraint for achieving uh, not achieving the objective of samadhi. That is the whole point. Is there anything in the other seven stages that are completely necessary? Meditation, maybe, or or something. Is what is is anything necessary to achieve the the, the, the samadhi? The, yeah, the, the final. All step. these seven are uh, uh, absolutely necessary. But they are not constraining in the sense if for some genuine reasons you cannot do it, they, they do not act as a inhibit, uh, as a inhibitor to achieve the state of Samadhi. Especially in the case of Bhakti Yoga. 
Okay, so so if I after I leave India, I go back to U USA in like five days or so, uh, and if I stop doing yoga, and I maybe meditate once in a while or something like that, does it mean I will never achieve that? No, no, no. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> See, for for deciding what you can give up and what you cannot, you need a spiritual perceptor. It is not that you decide. I'm just giving you the principle. So it can be done away with. But with the guidance of a spiritual perceptor, the 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 person who will, who will actually lead me through through the way. Yes. Got you. So 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 yoga in that sense, I think the Western has this kind of misconception of taking yoga as the asanas as the postures. Yeah, they think it's more like a gymnastic sporting sporting thing, right? But it's actually not that. It's not that. You you need you actually need. What, what do you think? Meditation is is definitely a, a, an important component. No, the, the the see, I'm saying the, that's what I'm saying. The final objective in all these yoga systems is to realize the absolute truth. That is uncompromising, right? You definitely have unlimited secondary uh, resources. And, no uh, secondary uh, goals. No benefits. Benefits. Coming out of this process, because finally, because you're trying to link to the absolute, it's just like you are trying to aim for, uh, say, a one thousand dollar bill, right? Which means automatically a two dollar bill or a ten dollar bill or a twenty dollar bill all included help. in it. They are all subset of a thousand dollar bill, right? So because you're trying to aim at the absolute truth, definitely, uh. Or, and automatically, you have a lot of secondary benefits occurring in the process. So if you get attached to any of these secondary uh, benefits, and they can be really magnificent and appealing, you lose the objective of getting the final. Absolutely. That is the problem. That is how the chains of Maya are, of illusion are. So that is yoga and that is meditation. Exactly. To, to strengthen your senses. So that's why I'm saying what happens is when you come to the practice of asanas and you see that you know your sensory perception, your sensory potency is increasing. So rather than using that for a spiritual purpose, when you start using that for material enjoyment, what has happened? Then there's no point anyway. You actually degrade your spiritual exactly. level. Actually degrade. So you definitely have benefited, but you have used that for a wrong purpose. So so the whole point of yoga, I I got not whole point, but a large point of it is is just to. Make your body healthier and enhance your. That's why define yoga firstly, right? To unite, to unite to what the living entity and the absolute truth. That is the definition of yoga. So if I go on a run, if I go work out, and I do it with a sense of purpose that this is to strengthen my sensory, so that I could realize greater spiritual value in life, then that is also yoga. Yes, why not? Uh -huh. Why not? If a, if a person has become 70, 80 years, he can't practice asanas. He just goes for a walk on the beach to keep his health good so that he can do the, uh, the part of dhyan, dharna and samadhi more better. Why not? Interesting. But all under the guidance of a spiritual perceptor. Not according to your whims and fancies. <laughs> because the mind is one of the biggest cheaters. It can tell you something is good today and it will say you the same thing is bad tomorrow. We're prone to illusions and cheating and, cheating. and mistakes. That's the whole point of uh, accepting the uh, uh, exomotic truths given in the Vedic scriptures. Because they are above the effects of uh, uh, illusion, of cheating, of uh, you know, propensity to cheat, to commit mistakes, uh, and the limitations of the senses. 
Wow, wow. Okay, that 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 makes sense. So so, I don't know that I might be too s- cynical and negative sometimes. So I wanted to hear your thoughts on this. This is uh, uh, we, we. I went to the meditation uh, at the Parmat uh, Ashram this morning, and then we, I went to 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 do yoga and everything. And they they talked a lot about positivity, positive energy. You know, our lo- our world should be filled with love and compassion. I, I guess my question that has been bothering uh, bothering me for a while is that I sometimes tend to have a pessimistic view on the world in in the way that I look at a lot of the problems that are happening in our world today uh, and I think it's hard for us to get out of this cycle of sufferings and problems and mistakes and flaws in humanity and I sometimes take a pessimistic view and I think if you look at if you measure the progress, right? When we talked about the the, the uh, apparent progress, the apparent progress. Yeah, yeah. It, it seems that the Western world has the tendency to measure progress on a linear basis and in a material materialistic basis. Uh, infant mortality rate is down. Uh, you know, more and more people are getting out of poverty. Uh, more and more people are enjoying modern benefits, and those are all wonderful things. But it seems that our happiness and our spiritual fulfillment overall in the world have not improved in that sense. That's why I said why we decide priorities. If, if you are trying to save the cloth of a drowning man, that's not intelligence. Right? We are in this material world. We everybody, everybody is suffering from old age, disease, death. Right? And all the other miseries that we talked about. And it's inevitable till you are in this body that you will suffer these. You cannot escape it. So the whole point is how do you escape? And no one's focusing on that. Uh, but then, is it justified that some people are pessimistic like me? Because a lot of my friends tell me, they say, Oh, Tiger, you, you shouldn't be pessimistic. You should be optimistic about how the world is. What? I mean, if someone says that, uh, Tiger, do not put your hand in the fire, you will burn it. How come it can, it can be pessimistic? Is it pessimistic? I think I tend to have a pessimistic view in the sense that I think uh, the world is really on fire and we should save it. And my friend would say, the world is not on you fire. Know the what first, are you, talk- you know the first song that we sing in the morning? It runs like this. Sansaradava naradita loka tranaya karunya ghanatvam It says this material world is this not on fire? This material world is like a forest fire. And a forest fire is like... You know, you know what a forest fire is? First, you don't need someone to start a forest fire. It automatically. It starts. Right? <laughs> Similarly, in this material world, you don't need someone to start suffering. It is just inevitable. Exists. Right? And if you want to extinguish your forest fire, you just no, you just can't do it with the help of fire brigade. What you really need to extinguish a forest fire is the clouds. It's the rain. Yeah, it's the clouds pouring rains on that forest. Right? So what you're saying is right in one sense. This material world is on fire. Not just any other fire. It's, it's like a forest fire. So you're not being pessimistic. 
Definitely. <laughs> so saying that the world is on forest fire is not pessimistic. It is just the truth. But but is it optimistic though? Uh, no, it is it is it is it is the truth. And the optimistic part is, we have to look for the clouds that will shower the cooling rain on this forest fire. Exactly, that, that's what I was asking. The, yeah. the, uh, where we can find the optimistic component right. to this thing. So this is this is where the Vedanta Sutras again come into picture. At the same time, they give the solution. Is that we elevate our spiritual well well being? At the same time, your material existence too. They are not discounting your material existence in any way. But in the, in, in the, in the Vedantic uh, lifestyle, it seems that you define progress in a cyclical manner. Uh, define, no, no. The, when you're talking about cyclical manner, it's mainly that you're talking about uh, the yugas. That is Satyuga, Treta Yuga, Dwapar Yuga, Kaligu. In the sense that materially the uh, civilization digresses, again progresses, again digresses. That is always there. But the option of spiritual upliftment at any given moment of time is always available, irrespective of the material surroundings. Okay. Irrespective of whatever your material surroundings are, you are materially progressed. Either you are in US and staying in, say, the Empire State Building, or you are in part of uh, the poverty area, third world country, and just staying in a slum. So, so you are saying that materialistically. We could be in a cyclical state, but the optimistic part is that if we all we can all yes. go in a linear fashion, we can all yes, get to that. Right. We can if everybody put our mind to it, right. and that is our mission. Yes. Okay. Okay. We we got that part clarified, but I I I I am sometimes skeptical that pe when people go around just saying you know they they use social media and they they make those posts, they just say. You know, happy energy, positive energy, and and they they, they just say those things you know, all the everybody time. Everybody can define positivity and all that thing in their own terminology. That's why I'm always been using this term absolute. Absolute means no relativity. What may be positive for you today may be negative for the other person. Right. Right. For you, earning a hundred dollars means quite a lot, and for the other person, hundred you know, like giving hundred dollars as a tip is nothing. So it's all relative. So, so in the sense that when, when I, what, do, do, do you think people use those terms too lightly without understanding? Yeah, without really understanding what it actually means. <laughs> it's you, so relative, yeah. You think so? Yes, definitely. And it's relative that when people say, I want to spread love. I want... Define love. Science means it has to have a specific definition, right? Well, how do you define love? Okay, hugging someone. Uh, <laughs> you you can hug someone to kill him to death. Well, <laughs> with with a kind intention, obviously, being able to 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 spread kindness to to. What is kindness. How do you define kindness? It's so all relative. It's so all relative. You know, when you, if you say a person who's habituated to eat non-vegetarian, right, uh, that please don't kill a cow. He will say, you're not being kind to me. You're depriving me of my food. So, so how do we, yeah, how do we make that? It's also relative. You're getting my point? Yes. So that is why, that is why we, we talk, when we speak, we sp speak in terms of the absolute truth. When we talk of love, try to understand the concept of love. The concept of love means 
to serve the object that you say you love. So when you say that you love the absolute truth, that is real, that is true love. So when you say when you love the absolute truth, that means you try to serve him in such a way that he is satisfied. When you say you love your father, that means what? That means you try to do things in such a way that will make him happy. Okay. Not that you try to do what, what makes make you, you happy and you think that you served him. Yes. Whew. So, but, 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 but it does seem that when you, you, previously when we were talking about compassion, you said you should spread compassion, you should help save people. But how can you do it? Only if, you, if that compassion springs from the reservoir of true love. Compassion is coming out from the reservoir of love. Any other compassion that expresses itself is incomplete. If it's not springing from the reservoir of true love. Again, all these qualities, all, when I'm saying of the absolute truth, it means all these qualities reside in the absolute truth. How, how do you define it again? How, how, how do you define it in absolute terms? When everything, you know, for a practitioner of yoga, all these qualities become part of his life. Why? Because he's connected to the absolute truth. All these qualities are springing from where? From the absolute truth. It's like having different rivers coming out from the same lake. Right? The hmm. source is what? The source is the absolute truth. So if they are coming out from the absolute truth, they are full. From anywhere else they spring, they hmm. are partial. Incomplete or partial. They cannot be fulfilling. Because the source is not the absolute truth. So we may have people who externally are, you know, like very kind, very soft-spoken, very gentle. But because these qualities not are not springing from the reservoir of love of absolute truth, at some point they are incomplete, partial, or they will even stop or deviate. And they will hurt someone or something. Exactly. So how do they, so, so let's say there's this girl, a, a college student, let's say in Princeton or whatever. She really hopes to achieve that. She wants to spread positive energy. She wants to love people and give compassion. And she is soft-spoken and kind, like you said. How does, what, what can she do to not deviate from the past and, and spring that from the absolute truth, from the, from the, from the, the right process, source? The process of yoga, to get connected to the absolute truth. Just, just like if you're connected, just like you open a tap, right? How do you make sure that the, there is always water in the tap? It's connected. It should be connected to the, to the source. To the source. Just to make sure that this bulb always gives light. It should be connected to the source. But Primji, we're talking in such abstract terms. So, so how does she get that? I mean, that, that would take no, a long it's, process no, it's for not, her to be truly it's, connected. It's not, with it's not an abstract thing. Suppose, you know, I have, a, I have a bulb. I connect it to a battery. The battery has a life of maybe four or five hours. It'll, it'll work. But if I connect it through a wiring system to the source, to the transformer. It can go forever. Can go on and on and on. The, this this uh, connection of the electrical line to this bulb and to the source is the process. Wait, so so how, how, how should that girl do it? She should... Uh, how does she get connected to See, that? When, when you're saying the girl is kind, the girl is loving, the... 
the girl really wants to help or speak compassionate she really has to understand what is true compassion what is true kindness how do you define kindness how you define compassion there is nothing abstract in the vedic lifestyle everything is precisely defined in relation to the absolute also oh, so those are just like i give you the example you know that day that say take one quality of truth people say that you should be truthful you should be honest but it's also relative unless you don't define in terms of absolute what is honesty and what is truthfulness so what just like if someone is running behind tiger to murder him right and and i'm sitting here and i see that tiger has ran on on in this direction to save his life and i can see that person is running behind him with a knife yeah and he comes and asks me so prem ji where did tiger go tell me and you lie and i say he went on the side on the other side you say my life but i i, I spoke untruth time place circumstance exactly that's what i'm saying everything has been precisely defined in connection with the absolute truth and then how you apply according to time place circumstance as to the dynamics to the fluidity of this vedic lifestyle but 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 that's a case by case basis right in the every sense, time everything is a case by case basis so so the girl would would think my if i want to spread love uh, in the relationship so they so i really want to you know feed this hungry people and and this is what i'll get for them every day xyz and then you and then she realizes well this is cooked from the meat of the animals what does she do she kills the 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 animals in order for, to feed the people yeah then only if she knows no real compassion is to feed them vegetarian food which has not harmed other people isn't that true compassion yes see even uh, even saint augustine said this love begets knowledge knowledge may or may not give you love but love definitely gives you knowledge just like if i love someone i will definitely try to find his likes his dislikes right and you try to satisfy it yeah so if i love someone definitely i know i'll try to know him to understand him but if i know someone i may not necessarily love him wait so so you, i i i'm a little bit lost here so you're saying if that girl wants to be kind to people yeah it depends on the time place circumstance she needs to find no those she, people no that's what i'm saying she wants to be compassionate to people that compassion should spring from the reservoir of love for the absolute truth in, in the sense that it helps elevate those people's consciousness for example not only consciousness even materially even materially even to materially benefit someone you should have that intelligence but but that still doesn't give me the full pro- proof formula for her not making a mistake so she she could see that is the first thing i told you to err is human but the point is intention the point is deliberation the point is intention what is a deliberation what is her intention she may make a mistake fine but what is her intention but she the- wants to move forward she wants other people to uplift themselves so if if she is sincere in her desire definitely she will be progressive if she gets good guidance that is really hard premji because because things are relative she will really have that intention of being kind and same another girl might have that same intention 
they both have wonderful intentions, but they might end up hurting each other. Definitely. And that's, how, how do we resolve that? That's still relative. They're still not springing it from the absolute truth. They're not still finding their way. That's why I said this world is not a utopian place. It's, it's bound. You have to have suffering. You have, you have the natural propensities of committing mistakes. Uh, you know, you have the natural propensity of your own limitations because of your body, time and space. Unless you don't transcend this all, definitely you will be faced with these type of problems. But that does, but optimism or positivity means that still you do not give up your path of yoga. So everyone might be making mistakes. No, Ev everyone will make mistakes. Everyone, everyone will make the mistake. Yeah. Conflicts will arise. Yes. And we look at those conflicts, we think what we, 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 we... We look at these conflicts as stepping stones to move forward. Yes, there's a disagreement between Tiger and myself. The disagreement is there. But that does not mean the relationship between Tiger and Premji is overcome by that disagreement. So we may have a disagreement. Uh, 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 I mean, if a person tells me that in all my relationships, it's all hunky-dowry and there is no conflict and there is no disagreement, then he's just lying to himself. So we can have the disagreement, but we will also reconcile to a certain degree and move yes. on. And, and, and yes. But that, that doesn't happen very often. Primary. That doesn't happen because people don't realize what priorities in life are. The priority is, which is to, to, to escape. You, it's, it's just like saying, you know, we all, are, we all are caught in a forest fire. And you say, I don't like the color of your dress, man. So that's fine, man. Just run. Right? <laughs> I don't know, Primji. I, I, but, but see, the, the disagreements get bigger when you don't realize that you're all caught in a fire and you have to run. And you're saying, no, your dress is not good, man. Just change it. And then we'll, we'll, then we'll shoot for the run. <laughs> so you're saying that people lost, lose focus on the priority, which exactly. is to transcend our, our, our spiritual... Uh, to, transcend our material limitations. Yeah. To reach spiritual elevation. Yeah. It's not only a question of losing the, uh, uh, the focus on the priority. It is also the question of being at different levels on the progressive path of uh, attaining the absolute truth. Because everyone is at a different level. To achieve the absolute truth just like you know a small child is trying to learn to walk right if he falls you don't call it a failure i think i, th I think our world today too many people call it failures and too many people when, when people make mistakes and, and too many times we try to knock the people down and try that's, to that's try to of lack of empathy lack of concern lack of com compassion lack of love just like if you have a small brother, you as an elder brother will try to, you know, if he's learning to walk, you will catch his hand, right? You won't push him down and you won't say, hey, you don't know how to walk too, man. <laughs> because you forget that even your parents helped you learn walking. That's the point of satsang. The point of satsang is the seniors try to help the juniors to move forward. The equals try to encourage each other. And the juniors are respectful and always uh, appreciating their seniors.
to have more guidance from them. And, and this is where my pessimistic part comes in and I think it might be uh, one of the, my final questions for you today is that I think a lot of times we make those mistakes and we try to reconcile, but we fail to do so. And, and, and sometimes we don't even try to reconcile. We look at the other side and we say, you are wrong and you don't have empathy and you don't have compassion. Whereas it's ourselves who, we who often lack those, but then we often feel like we have the best intention and they have the worst intention. And, people, and, 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 people, and, people usually try to judge others by their action and judge themselves by their own intentions. Exactly. So... And, and the pessimistic component is that how do humans escape that as part of human flaw? You said it is, it is the human nature to, to make errors, to, to have those flaws. So can we actually reach that spiritual state? Yes, one is by transcendental knowledge and one is by actually transcending itself. By transcendental knowledge, I mean, as I said, you know, that we appreciate that this material world is a place of misery. Right? That is transcendental knowledge. You can't escape it. And when I say transcendent, is by the process of yoga, actually, this material misery does not affect you anymore. You know what it is worth it. That's it. Why? Because you are tasting something higher. Just like a child. You know, he's playing with a toy and he's very happy. He's really engrossed, absorbed. And for him, the toy is his world. Right? But when you want to take the toy away from him, what do you do? You just give him an ice cream. And he's like, oh, the ice cream. Similarly is the process of yoga. We all are so much engaged in these petty things, petty differences, petty conflicts, which absorb our consciousness. But as soon as you take up this process of yoga, it gives you a higher taste, like the ice cream. And all these petty differences, petty conflicts, uh, they, they absorb into oblivion. They don't exist. I think that, and, that, that and is you, the way out. Yeah. yeah, And you don't focus on that anymore. And you don't creep on that anymore. And you don't make that your life anymore. Because you know, it's not worth it. Oh, so same thing. I, 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 now I think I'm, I'm seeing the hope because even for, for, for me, for this trip, after three weeks of going through temples, ashrams, yoga institutes, doing those things and, and talking to people like you. I feel like I care less about certain trivial things. Yeah, that's the whole point. You know how to define what is trivial and you know what to, how to define what is really important. That's the intelligence to discriminate. Yes. And intelligence means the function of how is intelligence defined? By the function to discriminate, to memorize, to sleep, to misapprehend, and to apprehend, to doubt. This is the function of intelligence. So we become better at identifying what truly matters. Exactly, and what is trivial. And, and when we actually consider this kind of argument as trivial, we don't get into arguments with people anymore. And, we and, don't even, excuse if, and even if someone wants to get, you give him a space and just be... Okay, you win. Or not whatever. bothered about it. That's it. Fine, if that makes you happy, please go ahead. <laughs> because, because not everyone will learn it the easy way. Some people, most of the people rather, will learn it the hard way. See, real intelligent student is 
who understands and appreciates and grasps the matter just by hearing it. Second class student is one who hears but needs an experience to learn it. Third class is he hears, has the experience but still does not learn. And they might only learn after mistakes. Or, 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 or like big. mistakes after mistakes after mistakes. The same mistake after and after and after and after. Ah, so that's, I think that's, uh, that's a kind of a, somewhat of a conclusion that we can finish on in this, in the sense that yoga, meditation, and this whole process enhances our senses. It enhances our intelligence uh, to elevate our ability to discriminate against, uh, between the, the, the important and the non-important exactly. so that we don't get bothered by trivial things and we don't get into arguments and conflict with people on those non-important things. And progressively to add to that, what is important for you today as you progress further, that becomes trivial. And slowly as you move ahead, you reach the absolute truth. It's, it's, it's a slow process. We keep doing it. It's we a keep gradual process if you do it with intensity. The results are gradual when you perform with intensity. It may take you, of course, it can be, the results can be instantaneous. It may just happen in, uh, in a moment or it may take lifetimes. But it is progressive. And that is why we, people like, I, I, I use myself as an example. So I come here from India for, for a month. I intensely learn about those things. And I go back to Princeton and I study very hard. I engage with ideas. I help save the world, whatever, right? You, you do all those things. And then you, 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 you embark on new journeys and you take on new challenges. You see, and in that process, as I struggle with those ideas, as I have those uh, pains or whatever, I, I make sure. But the point of challenge is very good. Yes, yoga is the process of challenging yourself for higher aspirations. And, and, and I, in, as I engage in that processes, I will gradually come to understand, oh, that's something I shouldn't worry about anymore. That is something I really should worry about. And then... That's how even life is, right? When you were a childhood, for you, the toy was the world. Now, it's your studies. Later on... It will be your profession. Maybe more later on it will be money. Then maybe your family. Then maybe your community. Then maybe your state. Then maybe your country. Then maybe the whole humanity. And then much beyond that, the absolute truth. That is how it is progressive. Right. Primjit, I think that's a wonderful note to end on. This, this is, I, I think after two, two hours, uh, and, and, and almost three hours, we, we finally come to a place that I think uh, is... There's a right time for a dinner break. <laughs> right time for a dinner break, but also, also I think a, a, a new level of realization for me. And I think I will continue to try to fulfill that. Primji, I just have one last question for you. Uh, what is the punchline of this interview, the, the one takeaway that you think, one message that you think would be helpful for our listener to remember? Uh, 
I would say that this process of yoga is for everyone and anyone in any state of life. To take it up from there, to move forward according to one's own capacity and capabilities. At the same time, the process itself uh, inherently adds to your capacities and capabilities to help you move forward on and on. That's a wonderful message to, to end on. Thank, Thank you, you so much. much. Thank you very much.